what's your uh, what's your favorite movie and why? Movie, Top Gun, hands down, never gets old for me. I'm not a movie buff, but I just uh, I, we just got a bulldog. We named him Goose. Nice, uh, because everybody Did you names him to die? everything. No, because because Maverick gets all the love. Yes, Goose deserves more love, and and that's that's of course he's gonna die in probably ten years. But, yeah. Uh, uh, but no, uh, yeah. So Top Gun, hands down. Uh, if if and this is a funny story. My wife teases me about this. We were we have a branch in Pensacola, and we were just down there uh, a few months ago. When we went, we my my uh, one of our loan officers down there used to run a fishing charter. So he's got a boat. We always go fishing, but we went out to uh, out to the the area where because the the Blue Angels were flying, and I, I can't help myself but just talking about if I could do life all over again, I'd be a naval fucking aviator and you know all the fucking stupid shit like that. That's just I guess that's just my my genre. I don't know. So Top Gun. Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey, what's up, what's up, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Scott Groves, and I'm actually here with my new coaching partner, Jeff Fitzer from Fitzer Media. This is kind of a wild story, man. I was at USA Mortgage at one of their live events. I was giving my keynote on lead generation and being famous with 50, and Jeff came up, and out of nowhere, he's like, hey, man, I do digital marketing, social media. I'm doing all the new age stuff that you're not doing. And you're doing all the old school sales training that I'm not doing. And I just feel like we're going to be partners. And sure enough, five months later, we've partnered up in his coaching program, my coaching program. Jeff has this wild story. Like me, he's a start in the mortgage industry, still has a foot in the mortgage industry, still slinging loans once in a while and helping manage people who are slinging loans, um, but has really leaned into this coaching business, uh, really leaned into this social media empire that he's building. And now in some weird twist of fate, coaches more realtors than he coaches loan officers on how to be locally famous, build their brand. And so whether you're a realtor or a loan officer or just a business owner who's looking to get more out of your social media, you're going to learn a shit ton of stuff today. So stick around. And Jeff, this is awkward. Like we've signed some financial agreements. We're like partners in some coaching. And I don't know a whole lot about you personally. So why don't you start with the Reader's Digest version of you, your family, where you come from, how you came up, and um, let's get the the Batman origin story. Man, that doesn't sound interesting at all. <laughs> all right, well, tell us why people should be on social media. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I tell you what, I've been in the I've been in the mortgage business since two thousand. Uh, actually, there, it is an interesting story. Uh, I, I will I will digress to ninety six and ninety seven. So before I got in the mortgage industry, graduated college in ninety nine. So that'll tell you how old I am. And I was working in sports and I was working for the St. Louis Cardinals. So I'm from St. Louis, uh, not from St. Louis. I'm from Wisconsin, Minnesota area. I was born in Wisconsin, but lived in Minnesota. That's enough of that story. Moved to St. Louis when I was about three years old, ended up in sports. And in 96 and 97, I started as a, uh, as a, as a runner. You ever know what a runner is for a sports organization? No clue. So basically, you're running notes, media notes to the to the uh, you know the 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 broadcasters and whatnot. It was it was a fun job. I mean, I was operating printers for a living essentially. Yeah. It's the foot in the door job to work for the organization. You run messages to the players from their wives and things like that. You get to know people. I ended up. I was there during the McGuire era. Remember that. And so things took off, and, and we started selling a lot of tickets. So they were recruiting us into the, into the ticket office. And 
I was sitting in the break room one day because you worked games just in case there were messages. So I literally would sit in break rooms and watch the Cardinal games. It was a great job. And Fred Bird came in, and he, was, he just comes in to take a break, and he took his helmet off, and I knew the guy. His name was Tony. And I was like, and I looked at him. I'm like, Tony, what would it take to get in that suit? And he's like, are you shitting me? And I'm like, no, I'd, seriously, what would it take? He's like, you can have the job. And I'm like, are you serious? He goes, dude, I fucking hate it. And, and so from that day on, I became one of the Fredbirds, and I was a, so I was a, a major league baseball mascot for two seasons. I, I didn't know what a Fredbird was. I was like, what are you talking major about? Fredbird is the St. Louis Cardinals mascot. Oh, my God. So you were, you were the nerd that was, like, in the costume on the sideline dancing? Oh, and Nerd? Called badass is more like it. I mean, <laughs> I, so here's the thing about Fredbird or any mascot for that, for that matter. You know, first of all, you've got to have a lot of energy. But, but the thing I loved about it is you, you'd be walking around in the concourse or whatever, and there'd be like a, you know, a couple walking along, and I could walk up as Fredbird and knock the guy out of the way, put my arm around his girl, and just keep walking, and everybody laughed. And I'm like, what a fucked up world that is when you can get away with that. And that was when I realized, man, this being a mascot is amazing. I was in college. I had to, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, go on like their cardinal caravans in the off season because I was in college. So I ended up having to give up the job. I made, I made, uh, I think it was a, it was a, the games, I, I made a hundred bucks a game. So that wasn't that much, but I was making like 300 bucks a an hour for like private gigs and stuff like that. So for a college kid, it was insane. It was like, yeah. this is all I got to do is show up and act like an idiot for an hour. Done. Kind of like your current job. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. But you know what it led to was, and then when I, when I, uh, so after, right before I graduated college, the St. Louis blues, the hockey team offered me a job, a full-time job before I even graduated college. So I took it. But after that, every time I ever interviewed for a job, you would watch like the person interviewing me and they like perusing my, my resume. They'd get down to Fred Bird and it was like, holy shit, you were Fred Bird? And it game over. Like I owned the, I owned the conversation after that. And I only had to use it like three times in my life, but all three interviews were like, holy shit, you were Fred Bird? So in St. Louis, that's a big deal. And I was a celebrity like that. It was pretty So cool. this is a, this is for any of the young kids watching, this is a really good uh, life tip is do something interesting when you're in college, right? Just don't sit around in the dorm room, smoking bongs and like watching college football. Go find some interesting job that you can talk about later in life. That's like a resume conversation starter. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize it at the time. And then when I got to, through it and, and started, you know, experiencing, I was like, damn, this is, this is stupid. Like Amazing. This, it's like taking candy from a baby in an interview. So you fall into mortgage like everybody else, go broke in 2008 like everybody else. Is that kind of yeah, the same same I, mortgage mortgage you know, story? You know how I got into mortgage? Uh, Monster.com. I didn't even know what the word equity meant. I got hired in by a company called AmeriQuest Mortgage. I remember AmeriQuest. They, yes. they were based out of Vegas, right? They uh, No, Orange County. Oh, Orange County. California. They, they, I would argue they were what really caused the crash like they were the driver Roland Arnau I mean that dude if you don't know the story that dude was he ended up becoming the ambassador to Holland and you know why so they didn't have to send him to prison because he sent so much money to the bushes and then he ended up becoming the ambassador you once you read between the lines I'm like that's why so he didn't have to go to jail so they shipped him off to another country he ended up dying but yeah a funny story but anyway so I got in the mortgage business from Monster.com, my first day on the job with AmeriQuest Mortgage, guess what movie they had me watch? It had to be either Wall Street or Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Boiler Room. Boiler Room. Oh, I, oh yeah, okay, 2000, that would have come out. Um, so many iconic scenes. Uh, what's his name? Uh, ben Affleck really yep. tried to channel his, uh, 
his inner Alec Baldwin in that scene where he's talking about go get a good suit. Uh, I love that movie. A lot of it's people, classic movie. yeah, you got to cut in like a scene from Boiler Room, like Vin Diesel, um, Giovanni Ravisi. Yeah, Ravisi, that's it. Yep. Yeah, yep. such a good flick. Yep. Yep. You and know, there's an alternate ending of that movie. Um, there's an alternate ending of that movie that people should go look up online if they've seen the movie they know what I'm talking about, where the guy who he sells um, with the line about, hey, does your wife call you and ask like uh, what type of cereal to get You know, when she's making decisions and he loses everything? There's an alternate ending where he comes and shoots up the whole location. <laughs> and like it's just showing him walking in with a gun to kill all the uh, unethical yep. stockbrokers as the, the, you know, the, the tail credits come up. So yeah, I'm gonna have to go rewatch Boiler Dude, Room. Dude, and that's no joke. Like the manager... I remember them teaching us like exactly that. Like when they say, I got to talk to my wife, you should respond. Your, your objection should be, do you have, do you, you have to check with your wife when you do this? And it's like, that doesn't seem right. Like, I don't feel so good about this. And actually it took me, cause again, I didn't know anything about mortgages. So it took me less than a year. It, but to realize like, I don't want to sell this to my family. Right. And, and then I realized I was getting hit up. So this is a really fucked up story. I was getting, you know, solicited by brokers at the time because we are a lead source, naturally, selling a two-year arm with a three-year prepay. Of course, we're getting shit tons of turndowns. And my manager was so fucking greedy, excuse my language, that he was like, you have to give all your turndowns to me so I can funnel them to the broker so I can make the kickback. And I, it, I quickly realized, I'm like, fuck you. I'm like, then I'll just go be the broker and I'll solicit you, motherfucker. Like, I mean, and that's exactly what happened. And then yeah. I left and that, that became my lead source. I ended up growing a decent little broker shop just by recruiting AmeriQuest loan officers. And that was the start of my mortgage career. Oh my goodness. You know, what's crazy is like, people look at this stuff and they think like, oh, it's all changed. It's all been cleaned up, Dodd-Frank, blah, 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 blah. But I'll tell you during the refinance boom, I got a call from a friend of mine who um, we helped him get a job. You know, we helped pull up his re polish up his resume. He got a job at a call center. And he calls me, same thing, really good guy, doesn't really understand the overarching mortgage picture. He's like, hey man, I got a question. Is Does this seem right to you? Like I'm quoting this VA loan at like five and a quarter. And I'm like, no, that definitely doesn't seem right because rates are like around three and a quarter. He's like, yeah, we have this weird thing in our software because it's call center, right? They have exactly what their script is that when we get a VA loan, we're supposed to ask them what their rate is. We put that into the system and then it gives us what the rate quote should be. And I'm like, oh, what they're doing, buddy, is they're making sure that the veteran only saves like half a percent so that they you know, meet their, um, meet their, whatever you call it, a uh, benefit to the borrower test on the VA loan. And then they're going to have you call that guy in six months again and refinance him at 4.75 and then call him in six months and refinance him at four and a quarter. And you'll get three loans when you could just give them three and a quarter today. He's like, man, that's really screwed up, but I really need this job. And I'm like, yeah, it's a serious dilemma, but I just want to let you know you're working for a giant call center that everybody would know the name and they are blatantly ripping off veterans. And like, it's just gross that some of that shit hasn't changed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, especially in this day and age. When, every, when you can be so educated with, you know, online. It's crazy. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, did you go broke like everybody else in 2008, or did you weather the storm? You know, actually, I should have declared bankruptcy. Yeah. I was almost a million dollars in debt, but pride got the best of me, and I spent my entire decade in my 30s paying off the bad debt I acquired yeah. in my 20s. So the funny thing is, funny, not so funny, I actually, you know, I, mean, I, I shouldn't say this is like with, with any confidence or like that I'm anything special, 
I clearly saw come 03, 04, 05, like, this is not right. Something's going to happen. You're watching, you know, all this shit go down. Like, I mean, I'm watching broker shops, you know, create their own pay stubs and bank statements and all this stuff. And, and I was like, man, this is going to crash and burn. So I started diversifying, thinking that was the right move. In hindsight, I wish I had not diversified and gone all in on mortgage, but I ended up investing in an energy drink uh, distributor. I had ownership in tan salons. I owned several bars, all the things. Right. And uh, I was, that was my first marriage. Ended up uh, getting divorced shortly after 08, I think. I did file bankruptcy, not because I had a shit ton of debt. I owned about 30, we owned about 30 something properties. And I just wanted to protect myself from just getting hammered because after 08, ev- all the you know equity just went to shit. And I called, this is actually an interesting story. I don't even something to really brag about, but it worked out really well. I, uh, I called every bank that, um, that I had, that I, you know, I had mortgages with because a lot of them were local banks. And I was like, this is what I have to do. I'm going through divorce. You know, everything's hit the shit's hit the fan. I'm just letting you know. And uh, no one reported delinquency to my credit, not one. My partner never ended up having to file because I think they just assumed he would file. And um, the we we made good with one bank that had two properties, and um, they didn't care because we made good with them. So even right after bankruptcy, they kept lending to us, and it was actually the most brilliant strategic move I've ever made in my life. Probably that I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but that you know, it it, it worked out okay. That's crazy, man. So then uh, you rebuild. You know, right now you you coach loan officers and realtors from all over the country, but you're currently, you know, your mortgage business is at USA Mortgage. What's the evolution over the, you know, following 15 years to, to where you got today? So actually in 08, we were a broker. And, and so we were in the process of getting our FHA approval at the time. And it was taking a while. And we got approached by USA Mortgage in 08. And we ended up joining USA Mortgage. The funny story is, like, literally the next week after we joined a correspondent, uh, our FHA approval showed up. Of course. But, you know, I was saying to myself, damn it, I wish I had joined this type of company. Because I was bred in the business in the call center, refi, dial for dollars type setup, which I hated. And then I get over to USA, and it's all relationship-based. It's all real estate agent-based, which was... Not what it is today. Like if, right. you, if you were in the business back then, that was less the norm. Right. And I was like, damn it. I wish I had started with them a long time ago. I wish I hadn't. Because really what caused me to file bankruptcy was all of the diversification. I invested in too much shit. Right. And it just, it was just, and honestly, it was probably more real estate than anything. Yeah. Real estate is really what drove me to bankruptcy because we were buying dilapidated properties. Because back then, guess what happened? Everything appreciated. Right. That's all I knew. And, uh, and that's why I say to this day, millennials aren't buying because they watched their parents yep. go through 07 and 08 and their perception of real estate is jaded. Right. And so it's now taken this long to get them to a point now they're ready to buy and they can't afford to buy. But anyways, that's, uh, so we joined USA in 08. It was the best thing we ever did. Uh, and then we, you know, we steadily grew from there. Uh, 2012, I think was our best year. And then we kind of plateaued and, and I, and we were kind of just, just, we did a good job. I had a partner. I was kind of the front facing the, the relationship guy. Everything was local. Then everything was just around the St. Louis market. I didn't know any different. Right. And then, and then about it was 2015 ish when 
we were struggling to grow and our competition is, you know, was ourselves, which our own company. There was another branch manager who's now the president of USA Mortgage, by the way, Ron Mueller. (laughs) And he was a branch manager. His mom, who still is the CEO of the company, Linda Pring. And it was always like, every time I I come across a recruit in a market like St. Louis, it seems like they've also talked to Ron and everybody chooses Ron because he came out of the right person. Right. And it's like, we have the same ability. Linda treats me the same way, but there was some perception. I'm like, fuck this, I can never grow here. Fuck this. And, uh, and so we ended up, you know, I got hit at the right time by an owner of a, a bigger company and did the right sales pitch. And we moved, uh, we left in 2016. It was of course not what we thought it was going to be. We never is right. It, we were there for two years. It was a great experience. I made some great friends and it's what made me what I am today. Because when I left USA in 16, I said, how am I going to now compete against Ron? How am I going to compete against USA? Who's got number one market share in St. Louis? How am I going to bring a new name that nobody's recognized? And this was right about the time Facebook live became, was a thing. And I was watching a real estate agent do Facebook lives and he was calling them coffee talks. And it was tough because nobody knew what to do with Facebook live then. Right. Everybody was just pressing play on their kid playing soccer or something. They didn't know what to do with it. This guy I thought was onto something. He was onto something. Ironically, he's no longer in real estate, but he was onto something. And I, and I kind of grabbed, grabbed a hold of it, started doing video. I was really bad at it, but I figured it out and I just kept doing it and kept doing it. And, uh, you know, the short story is simply this. I, I, I started doing video like everybody else did and still kind of does, sadly, which was talk about mortgages, talk about my business. I was doing walkthroughs in my office and look at the build out and look at this. Yeah, look, we're having an underwriter do a training and look how cool we are. And then I quickly realized, God, this is boring. People can't really be interested in this shit. And this is 16, 17. And, and then I did a video. There's, there's, there's one defining moment. My daughter, who's now 20, she was 13 at the time. She was making slime and selling it on Etsy. She's my little entrepreneurial child. And I was like, you know what, Isabel? And by the way, my kids both, both my 23 and 20 year old obviously had a, uh, a tendency to social. Like this was musically days, right? right. Vine <laughs> and then musically. I thought they had lost their minds. Which for people that are not cool, musically ended up becoming TikTok. TikTok, correct, yeah. They were doing video. I remember my oldest daughter, and I still tease her about it in a good way, but I'm like, you were doing, I would walk by your room and I'd hear her talking to a camera. I'm still there. Oh, you're good, sir. Okay. Cool. I would hear her talking to a camera saying, hey, guys. And I was like, oh, shit, she's lost it. We're going to have to hire a fucking psychiatrist. <laughs> turns out she knew what the fuck she was doing. Right. Anyways, uh, you know, so my, my 13-year-old at the time, we were sitting at our, our second home at the Lake of the Ozarks, and we were sitting on the deck, and I was, you know, I was trying to do video. And she's like, Dad, let me show you something. And she gets onto iMovie, which was basically the only editor at the time. And she's like, watch this. And she like did some editing tricks. And I was like, I still, I still remember that. I'm like, holy shit, like this is going to change my life. Oh, actually, let me digress back. So she was doing the Etsy. We did a video. We did a video uh, of her make, we made Etsy live on Facebook. And then we, you know, promoted her Etsy link or whatever. That video had thousands of views, hundreds of comments. And it was that light bulb moment for me. Like, this is what people want. Yeah, people want to see you and your daughter this doing is slime. What, yeah, this is what they need. And and so, you know, one thing led to another. It led to being on the deck at, at the Lake of the Ozarks. And so I, I was all in at that point. She then taught me how to edit, which I told her at the time, this is going to be life-changing. L- not really realizing it was going to be life-changing. But 
I, still to this day, I, I tell agents, I tell everybody I coach, like, you're going to have to acquire some basic editing skills. But just that can be life-changing. Because I'm telling you right now, the majority of your peers will not. And, and so just those little tweaks uh, could potentially change your life. And one thing led to another. And dude, the, the, the simple story is this. I was doing video. I started to do it differently. I always tell people I was doing TikToks before TikTok was TikTok, uh, which means I had, I had found a green screen editor who was off the wall, like super creative. And I loved what he was doing just on a personal level. And I was like, let's tie this back to mortgage somehow. So I was doing goofy shit before goofy shit was mainstream. And I ended up getting, I ended up getting found by a mastermind in, uh, that was being started in Southern California. I'm in Missouri. And they said, dude, you're doing some cool shit. We're starting this mastermind for real estate. We'd love for you to come and come and join us. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and, and at the same time, my phone was starting to ring from real estate agents saying, Hey Jeff, you're the video expert. Can you help me with? And I was like, I, I am. And then quickly dawned on me, Oh shit, I am because you're not doing it. And then one thing led to another. And I just realized as I started to study and evolve that brokers aren't doing this. Brokers aren't teaching this shit. Video led to social. That was my outlet. And I just went all in and I, and I realized that from that point forward, I'm never going to chase business ever again. It's going to come to me because I'm going to find what they need or what they're lacking that values that that's value to their business, not my loan products, not my accessibility, not my rates, not whatever, not, you know, none of that bullshit. That's not value. That's, that's our job. Right. Right. And uh, I figured out value and ever since, it's just, I've just become a rainmaker now for the business. It's, it's, I've, I've earned, you know, massive influence in the real estate industry, as you mentioned. That came from that mastermind. I went to this mastermind. Uh, I ended up meeting Tristan Almada, who's the founder of Lab Good Agents, which is the largest real estate real Facebook group on the planet. We become friends. I figure out how to infiltrate that group as a lender without being a slimy lender. Most lenders get kicked out because they immediately go into sell. And uh, Tristan ended up loving me and was like, dude, you bring a lot of value. We need to start a podcast. Will you run it for me? And, and basically, it's just, it's just really catapulted. And, and for the people that are like, you know, I, I'm always thinking about where is the audience rolling in their eyes. They're like, oh, good for you. You became just a, yet again another influencer. Give us the eye-popping numbers of like what happened to your mortgage business. Because like you said, you had kind of plateaued in like mm -hmm. 2013, had this big ramp up coming out of the crash. You know, you double, triple, quadruple business between 2009, 2013. You kind of plateau. Uh, obviously, loan amounts have gone up. Property values can go higher. But do you have a feeling for like 2013, 14, 15, we've kind of plateaued. Boom, I hit this social media stuff. I do it right. I'm an early adopter. Do you know what percentage of the business grew or 100 million to 200 million? Or do you know what that looked yeah, like oh, when yeah. you guys really leaned in? We are at our, at our plateau, we were 100 to 130 million. And our best year was 560. 560 million. Yeah. So more than like almost a five almost X five times. Yeah. And, and what are the network effects, right? Because obviously you put up a video and maybe that attracts a client, but then it also attracts a realtor and then it attracts a recruit and then it makes staying in touch with past clients easier. Like what are the network effects of like being social or being on social? I mean, it's a long conversation, which could, good thing we have some time. Uh, you know, it took me a while to figure this out. What, what happened first was that I became an authority to my target audience. That was first and foremost, which made me realize like, again, you know, if you're a loan officer, you know exactly what I'm about ready to say. You're only as good as your last deal. 
And, and the best, uh, the best way I describe it is I had a great friend of mine. She was a real estate agent and we got such good friends. We traveled together. They would stay at my lake house. Her, her husband would go to my lake house on his own to do bass fishing tournaments. I let him use my condo. And I, 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 I I say this on the air. I I bought her iPads and like cool gifts and shit because we were friends. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't wasn't a a kickback. It's just like Christmas gifts. But, but you know, and, and guess what would happen? Every so often, I'd get that call from Becky. I'll call her name out. And she'd be like, hey, Jeff, you know, Ron, the loan officer, was in the other day, and he's got this interesting product. We're just going to go ahead and give him a shot. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, why don't you just ask me if I have the fucking product? Like, all the shit we do together, and that's all I am to you? And it would just piss me off to no end. And I'm like, I'm a good networker. I'm a good loan officer. We execute. We do all the fucking things. And this is how I get treated. And so it just always pissed me off. It's always jaded me. It always made me look at my career and say, this isn't sustainable. Like, I have to grovel for the rest of my fucking life. I have to do all of the things, travel with them, give them my place to stay, buy them nice gifts, and you still will cheat on me? Fuck you. And, uh, and so when, when my phone started to ring, it was just that light bulb moment. Like, listen, I'm going to focus on the people that want what I have to offer, which is more than mortgage. And, and I'm going to lean into it. And, and so, you know, to, to answer your question, what ended up happening was, is I ended up building relationships with real estate agents to the point where I would never ask for anything. I was just offer and offer and offer. And I learned this through lab code agents. I learned this with Tristan because, you know, the minute you go in for the sell, they, they immediately turn you off. This is just humans in general, not just real estate agents, right? right? And, and so what would end up this happening? Is, this is the person that walks on the car lot and the salesperson walks up and they're like, hey, can I help you? No, 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 no. Why would I possibly be on a car lot? It's like, well, asshole, because you're probably in the market to buy a car yes. today. I've never walked on a car lot not intending to buy. Correct. Realtors know why we're calling them. And it's like, I believe in asking for the referral because if not, you can end up in the friend zone. But you also kind of don't have to ask for the referral because they know why you're calling. They know why you're walking on the used car lot because you want to buy a used car. Right. Well, and so, and, and to, to that point, so what would end up happening is, is real estate agents, brokers, after helping them for a little while, they would always say the same thing. Like, what can I do for you? And I'd be like, huh, funny you should ask. And th- at that point, it was very simple to say, well, here's the deal. And it was, in, in my case, it was one of two things. It's either, where are you sending your business? Uh, if you're not loyal to somebody and I have somebody in your market, let's work together. This is how I grew on a national level. This is how we got to 500 million plus. And, and, or it was, who's your loan officer? Are they happy where they're at? And oftentimes it was like, actually, they were just bitching about it the other day. I'm like, perfect, make an introduction. They'd be like, fucking, I'm fact, I will want them to come work for you. That's how they were. Yeah. And it was, and then all of a sudden I'm landing loan officers with very little effort. It just takes a little patience. And that's what we, most of us lack. It's right. like, I, I, okay, fine, Jeff, I'm going to go get into Facebook and Instagram and I want to see leads tomorrow. Right. Not the way it works. Right. And, and so, and that's what it was, but on, to take that a little bit further, when you have something that they need, they don't need a mortgage. We're a commodity. They can call you. They can call me. They can call anybody on any right. street corner. But when you have something that most loan officers don't have, now I have a, I have a value. I, I can teach you social. I can teach you video. I can teach you something. Now, all of a sudden I, I flip the tables and now I'm in control. You want to keep me around, go to fucking Ron, and I'm not going to help you anymore. You see if Ron can help you, right? 
And, and it just changed the narrative on the, on the conversations. And that's really the biggest thing that I preach now to loan officers. Is I'm like, you want to control the narrative. And it's the same thing with real estate. I coach the same thing with, you know, like with them going to consumers, with, with a broker recruiting. It's the same principles. You just got to understand it and then have some patience with it. So the patience part is what's hard, right? Because it's like I, every once in a while, Facebook will come up with a uh, memory from eight, nine years ago, about the same time, 2016, when I was uh, when I was building my coaching business and like going Facebook Live. And back then, you were getting a lot of juice from Facebook Live. Like if you were willing to go live on video, they would put you in front of everybody. Not so much anymore, which no, is kind of a bummer. Not at all um, and so uh, I'll see some of these videos, and I'm like, oh. God, those are cringeworthy. Yeah. But at the time, no one cared. And nobody cares if you start today, right? Like nobody expects you to be Gary V overnight and have a B-roll and you up on stage. Like if people want to hear from you, they're they're going to hear from you. And they're going to be, they're just going to be intrigued in what's going on with your life. And one of the things that I really appreciate that you were saying when you were coaching some of our loan officers is some people were like, well, you know, I'm not like Scott. I don't smoke cigars and I don't have a cool podcast studio. And like, I don't do jujitsu and I don't do interesting things. And you were like, no, no. You understand how relatable it is to be a single mom with two kids trying to balance business networking and running your mortgage business. Like that's real life. That's what people want to hear from. They don't want the super polished uh, Ty Lopez, and, and I'm sure he's a great guy, but like everything that's douchey about the internet, I just see in his persona and, and that sells to people and that's fine. But like Ty Lopez, I'm going to stand in front of the 10,000 books I've read and in front of my two Lamborghinis and my $30 million Las Feliz house. And I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I see what you're doing. And God, that's so cringeworthy to me. Like even if you have great shit to, co uh, to coach and teach, I would never be able to fall into that funnel. Like it's just, it's not my vibe. And I love that you gave permission people uh, on our coaching call the permission to be like, no man, whoever you are, that's super interesting to someone. Yeah. So can you talk to that a little bit? Because I think people do think, oh, I need a, I need an editor and I need a green screen and I need this super cool podcast table that my friend Marco, shout out to Marco. Um, if you guys need anything custom made, anything with wood or metal, uh, just DM me and we'll get you with Marco. He made this awesome podcast table for me with like inlaid uh, cigar boxes. Super cool. Um, he's super interesting, but like you don't have to be interesting to put up interesting con con content or relatable content. I mean, I flew to Vegas to be on this podcast. So if that tells you anything. That's true. Uh, you know, uh, the funny thing is, is when you mention the people like Ty Lopez, like you don't see that guy on social anymore. And, and you know, so even when you think about the evolution of, just marketing and entertainment, even reality TV. So why did reality TV become so popular? Because it was real. Well, it turns out it's not so popular anymore because it wasn't real. And we, we figured that out. That's why social's taken over because now all of a sudden I get real, real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but that was the evolution. It was sitcoms. Now it, then it was reality TV. Now it's real, real behind the scenes shit. And, that at one time was the Ty Lopez's of the world. It was the Kardashians. But even that is now evolving. And if you follow big influencers and people that are doing it at a high level on YouTube and TikTok and all these platforms, they're telling you now, like, you got to go more raw. It's, it's, it's like dumbing down. And, and so it's even though I've been preaching this for a number of years, like, it's real. Like, even real successful influencers are saying, I'm editing less, I'm being more raw, I'm using less stuff. Like people want reality. And because when you really think about, and this is, this is the part that people miss, 
Why are people on social? Why are you listening to this podcast right now? Why do you open social? The answers are, are plentiful, but it's primarily, you know, it's time killing. It's your entertainment. You sit down on the couch, you open up TikTok. You're just mindless, right? It's the same reason 15 years ago, I turned on the TV and watched Seinfeld episodes and Friends and bullshit, right? And, and soap operas and fucking Jeopardy and whatever to what, you know, whatever the case may be. Now it's social. But, but the other thing about that, that most people don't realize is, is that social media is, is an escape. Most humans hate their life. They, 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 have, they have no direction. They, they work a nine-to-five job. They'll never be what they wish they would be because they don't have the discipline and the drive and the patience and all the things. And so they get off that nine-to-five job. They come home to another misery of screaming kids and, a, and, a, and an asshole spouse and all the things. Their outlet is social media. And more people want to actually go to social to feel like they're not a fuck up and they open up social so that they can see that single mom who's made something of herself. It gives them hope. They'll never do shit. They might buy from you. They might use you for a mortgage, but the reality is that's why people actually use social because it's not about yachts anymore. It's not about Lamborghinis anymore. It's about Hey, this quick interruption is brought to you by me, Scott Groves, the host of the On The Edge podcast. This podcast is brought to you by me. Uh, I'm a loan officer who can help you with a mortgage in all 50 states across the United States. I also coach loan officers. So if you are a home buyer who's looking to get a mortgage, if you're a realtor who's looking to partner with an awesome loan officer, or if you're a loan officer looking for coaching, get in touch with me. It's those sources of revenue that allow us to produce this podcast and get out a new episode to you every week for the last couple of years. So if you're looking for a mortgage, if you're looking for a mortgage lender to partner with, or you're looking for a mortgage coach, I'm your guy. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Fuck that. It's about who's real. And, and I just want to kind of relate. I want to feel like, man, I, I, I dig her. I, I think that kid throwing a fit in the background and I can see she's stressed and she doesn't have her makeup on. That's real. I like her. That's what people want. Yeah. So, so how do you do that? Um, I don't know if I should call her out by name, but I'll just say I have a relative who like too honest, too real, too much bitching and whining and complaining about the divorce and the this and the, and the, oh, I'm going on a date tonight. Oh, but my husband's such a loser. It's like, well, maybe you shouldn't be going on a date with another guy. Um, <laughs> that's real. That actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for real. Um, and so I'm just like, you know, there's a fine line between like raw, real, sure. um, you know, I know for certain, I can probably name 10 of them by name. Some of them, might be watching this podcast because people love to watch what they hate, right? I know for certain a dozen realtors who do not use me anymore because they know I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. And the funny thing is, they think I voted for Donald Trump, which I didn't. Uh, I voted for the Libertarian, uh, the governor from New Mexico. Can't even remember his name now. Um, Gary Johnson, maybe. I don't know. You're going to have to look this up. Who was the Libertarian uh, the year that Trump beat uh, Clinton? Anyway, I voted for that guy. But if you weren't like an all-in Hillary, you you were a Nazi, right? You you were you were a Trump-supporting Nazi if you weren't all-in. Joe Jorgensen? Joe Jorgensen. No, that was that was uh, two years ago. Before that, it was the governor of, uh, it was the governor of uh, New Mexico, or previous governor of New Mexico. Um, hey, where'd that voice come from? 
Oh, uh, that was that was 2020, not 2016. Yeah, 2016. Shout out Chris DeRosa, our <laughs> our Jamie in the in the studio. I gotta get one of um, I gotta get one of those guys. Oh, it's the best, man. It's like it's like the voice of God. It just comes out of nowhere. Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson. Yeah, it was Gary Johnson from New Mexico. So, um, and I know I'll never forget. I used Instagram just for personal stuff for the longest time. I had no lenders on there. I had no realtors, and somebody who I assumed was just a friend had posted a picture of that Hillary Clinton book, uh, What Happened? And I wrote in the comments, I was like, what happened was Democrats screwed up by running the only candidate who Donald Trump could beat. I didn't say, go Donald Trump. I didn't say- No, but everybody, everybody's pro-Hillary but, but it that way. Yeah, anybody who's pro-Hillary just immediately thinks I'm a Nazi. She left me a one-star review on Yelp. She screenshot that and sent it to my realtor saying that I was like a fascist. How could you work with this person? Blah, 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 blah. And it's like, so I know just the amount that I'm out there has like cost me business, right? Um, and unfortunately, born and raised in Southern California, not a lot of libertarians leaning in to be like, Scott, you're my guy. As a matter of fact, there's a realtor. Oh, I want to use his name so badly. There's a realtor who is a closet case, hardcore, right-leaning, like MAGA supporter, but he works in the Los Feliz, West Hollywood area. He calls me to vent about politics, but definitely doesn't talk about it publicly and won't even use me as a lender, partially because he doesn't want to be associated with somebody who's not hard left wing. And I'm like, okay, so this has really shot me in the foot being myself. Uh, maybe I need to like move to Texas or something or lean in more to like Pahrump County or something where I'll get some more realtors that are right leaning. But where's the line between, okay, I'm being real and raw. I'm being authentic. I'm being me and oh shit, that just shot me in the foot. Or or how do I really like find my tribe that will support me once I start being raw? Or is there a line that you pass like my cousin who was just like 19, you know, Instagram lives a night talking about how horrible her life was and crying into the camera. And I'm like, no, no one wants well, this. Well, first of all, that's her release. Yeah. Like she's not doing it for business. That is her best friend, right? So that's that's not the greatest example. Two years ago, I would have cringed when you talked to me about, you know, owning your side or uh, if you wanted to talk deeply about religion or, you know, these these divisive topics, right? That has since evolved. And I've got a really good friend in real estate who also is hard right wing and decided to own it on social, which I cringed at. And then I quickly realized as the social has evolved now, and, and I'm not advocating for this, by the way, because I still don't do it and I don't do it on either one, but I'll tell you how it works. What ends up happening is, is when you are neutral, no one follows you. There's nothing to follow you for. You're just, meh. you're just normal, right? But when you choose a side, you're going to piss off 50% and they're going to leave you. The other 50 is going to get lean into you. Neither side had any reason to lean in or lean out before. They didn't right. do anything. Right. Now there's a reason to lean in. I got another good friend of mine during COVID, like kind of just went AWOL. Like it just freaked this person out and they leaned heavy into religion. And I was like, ah, oh, barf. And I'm a religious person. I grew up Lutheran, all that stuff, but it's not, I don't wear it on my sleeve. It's just not my style, right? Right or wrong, right? It doesn't, I'm not claiming to be either way, but this person leaned into religion. They have a downline in one of those real estate platforms that they don't sell real estate anymore because their followers literally leaned into the, I guarantee that realtor turned off 80% of their audience, but the 20%, 
has made that person a fruitful life. And so, again, I'm not advocating for either way, but nowadays you can actually lean. I, I think you're almost better off being divisive and saying, fuck it. In fact, a funny story. Today, at the time of this recording, there was a new, there's news today that the NAR president has resigned because they were being blackmailed or something like that. I, one of my buddies texted it to me saying, I wonder if there's content in this. And I then, later, that, later today, I went to Instagram and the first, out of the first several posts, I see real estate agents talking about this news and I'm rolling my eyes. This is the third time I've now done this. I then had my buddy, so I'm, I'm, I'm visiting Las Vegas right now. I had him record me, I tagged you in it. I had him record me in the elevator, standing in the elevator, riding down the elevator. I then put text overlay over it with some music saying, this is me riding in an elevator, not posting about the, the, the news today because my audience would rather watch me riding in an elevator than know about what happened for the NAR president. You know, and, and I'm, I'm, so I have actually taken a different stance in the real estate community, and I'm doing this in lab code agents too. I'm pissing a lot of people off because I'm saying shit like, I, I made a post during, during the holiday saying, you want to be more successful? Work when others aren't like between Christmas and New Year's. I got fucking crucified. And, but you know what? 25% said, you're damn right. The other 75% made excuses to why they shouldn't be working. Right. And I don't give a fuck. Like, fine, I'm going to own the 25%. But the truth is, what I said is actually true. Right, right. You can't argue with it, but we have just got, the, we've, there's, we're, this, we're this, you know, what is it? Uh, what's the society that we've become? The, the, the participation trophy society. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get it. Like, you don't, if you don't have to do it, that's fine. And I didn't do it either. I mean, I always work. But, I mean, if I was young and grinding, I'm making calls when my competition isn't. Yep. That's just 101, right? And, and so now I, my point is, is I'm leaning into kind of a div divisive personality in the real estate community because I know I'm going to attract a very loyal tribe of people that are like, yes. And everybody else who doesn't like it because they think I'm an asshole, that's fine. But you know what? They'll probably still follow me. Yeah, probably. The, the thing that I... The thing that I find, and this is my this is my outsider opinion as like I've voted libertarian in the last several elections. I'm definitely more conservative, right leaning on a lot of um, issues. Some some social issues I could really care less about. There's some social issues that I'm really vexed on and catch me on any given day and I can argue either side of the argument. Um, but what I have found is like the people that lean into being hard left, I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I think they're wrong, you know? That's the end, scroll past it. But the people that disagree with you if you're on the right side of the aisle, they think you're evil. And that's really been hard for me because I'm like, uh, there's this agent, Courtney Poulos. Uh, she posts, or previously, posted a lot of political stuff. And I'm just like, ah, I think she's wrong, scroll. I think she's wrong, scroll. I think she's wrong, scroll. You know, didn't think twice about it. One time I was like, hey man, I think this is really wrong and this is something that I have some context around and I actually am a little bit more of a subject matter expert. Here's my thoughts, da 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 Bro, I got flamed like I had just murdered everybody's first puppy. And I'm like, wait a minute, how is it like 90% of the time if I'm looking at people on the left, I'm just like, ah, I think you're kind of wrong, whatever. But this is not the hill that I'm willing to die on. It seems like almost everything that gets posted, and maybe this is just the bubble that I'm in in Southern California, it feels like anything that you post that's like, right-leaning, you know, like if I said, if I put on social media, eh, you know, maybe abortions like one day before the projected due date, maybe that's leaning more towards murder than like women's choice. 
I would get flamed endlessly. Whereas if somebody on the left posts that, I'm just like, ah, I think you're wrong, but I'm not like willing to fight about it. It's just really weird. Like yeah. may, maybe I'm way off base. And again, maybe it's just the social bubble that I'm in having born and raised in Southern California. But I feel like there's a subtle difference. Here, here's what I, I, I want to digress for a second and, and tell everyone listening to this, that this is not what I would coach. Right. Uh, when, when, until you earn the right and so I feel like seven years in, with a pretty substantial audience, I've earned the right to say what I want to say. I still don't talk much about politics. Now, right. it's funny because I have a very geocentric strategy around the Lake of the Ozarks. Now that I've built separate channels for, I've started a brokerage as a result as a mortgage guy, by the way. And that audience, which, by the way, would love you, uh, is middle of Missouri. And I intentionally post Trump shit just to get them riled up because they just love it, right? And and I'm just playing my audience. I'm not, everybody wants to assume how I vote and I'll let them just continue to assume because I just not, it's not my style. It's, right. I don't claim a party. I vote for what's best for my family, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that's that. And I think our, my generation, Gen X and younger is all the same way. I think for the most part. Yeah, I agree. And, and, but so I'm not, not going to sit here and tell anybody listening to this that this is, needs to be your strategy. In fact, it shouldn't be. You've got to figure, you've got to earn the right to do that, I think. And, and so, you know, as, as you know, I've got some very strategic strategies because social media is, in my opinion, and should be your number one prospecting tool. And I have a really strong, validated reason for that. And it works really well in conjunction with all of your traditional prospecting. Now, if you choose, you want to lean into and own what you believe in, I would actually not argue with you about doing that. Just know that you're going to piss off half the audience. You're in a shining example of what it, the detriment it can be. Right. Now, if you did that in Texas, if you did that in Missouri, you're not going to have the same response. Right. Right. It's, so, it's the opposite, actually. In fact, the, the, the liberal side is quiet. Mm. And the, the Republican side, and, you know, the, the right side, is, the conservative side, is much more boisterous. And I think it's just a product of the area that you're in, and that and it defines that. And you, you basically exemplified that with what you're describing in Southern California. So getting back to the important stuff, um, tell us why you think social media should be people's number one prospecting status and or uh, prospecting tool. And by the way, after you say this, I'm going to say the thing that you said on our coaching call that I think was most impactful. And I'll see if you come across it on, on, on accident. But tell me why you think social media should be loan officers, realtors, if you're selling widgets. Everyone. It should be your number one um prospecting tool everyone yeah because when so when you think about how we traditionally sell you know and and you think about how the world has evolved and and you know the 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 world of of used car salesmen and and you think about uh you know telemarketing and commercials and all the things like what's happened like uh tivo became a thing why because we were sick of commercials and we wanted a way to avoid commercials uh, why do, why do um, with apps, we can pay extra money so that we don't have to see ads, right? Uh, why did do not call lists exist? Yep. Why can I opt out of emails and unsubscribe, right? S Scott Galloway has that great line. Um, anybody not listening to the Prof G podcast, you should. He has this great line where he's like, in the near future, if we're not already there yet, only poor people will see advertisements. Mm -hmm. 
Because like if anybody can pay to opt out, that's the number one thing. Like what's my time worth? Yep. You know, I watch endless YouTube. If I can opt out of all ads, I'm probably saving a day of my life every single year by opting out of ads. Yeah. I mean, that shit adds up. Yep. So anyway, yep. and, sorry. And so when you think about your how you're prospecting if you're not leaning into social, that's what you're doing. You're calling, you're texting, you're emailing, you're door knocking, you're going to networking events, which is also awkward. When you think about when you walk into a networking event, you know, it's always that awkward, hey, how's it going? Just conversation, like nobody really gives a shit. They're just playing the game, right? Right. Uh, it's always these little groupings of people standing around each other. And and so you're, you're meeting your client where you're invading their space. You're invading their time. Then you've got this vehicle, this medium called social media where you have to choose to go there. And not only is everyone choosing to go there, they're spending two and a half hours a day on average there. Why? Because it's become television. And so now everybody listening to this, for the most part, you are your consumer. You're a consumer. You are a consumer of social media. I just posted yesterday on my thread saying, stop consuming, start creating. Because everybody is spending time. There is a statistic from a social scientist. I didn't know this existed. I listened to a podcast. And she broke it down like this. 90% of social media users are lurkers. 9% are light engagers. You know, they throw out a moan, a.k.a. a like, a comment. 1% are creators. No way. Yes, yes. No way. Uh, 100%. And I, again, I this is a bias that. from a world that I come from because I've got a lot of early adopter realtors in LA who leaned in and they create. I know a lot of people like you in the space. So in my mind, if you would have given me a guess at that, I would have said 30% lurkers, 30% active engagers, and 30% hardcore creators. You're saying less than 1% right. put up consistent content? Correct. Shut the fuck up, for real? For real. Wow. Yeah. Chris, we're killing it, bro. You're in the you're in the creator status. Yeah. If you're if you're posting if you're posting multiple times a week, you're you're probably in the creator status. Yeah. And and I would even argue that 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 bar needs to be raised to at least once a day. Mm -hmm. Like you got to be posting at least once a day. And you know, I, I lean into people like Gary V, who is an extreme example. He's the godfather of social. He's the godfather of vlogging. All the things. You know, it's extreme, and he even admits it. Like you know, it's you, you're not going to post the level that I am. Maybe, but, but you should be aspiring for that. You should be aspiring because attention is your number one asset. And so going back to your original question, it's like, why should it be your number one prospecting tool? Because you have the opportunity to meet people where they want to be met. And you know, the example that I gave, I'll give it again. I use my wife as the example. She's on social, like every other consumer. She opens, she's on social all the time watching fucking Instagram. She's watching French Bulldog or English Bulldog videos because that's what we have. She's watching uh, hair and makeup people because that's what she's into. She's watching fashion because that's what she's into. She's on it all the fucking time, like every other human pretty much on the planet, right? When my wife posts, which is pretty much just to post about our dogs, our kids, making fun of me, whatever the case may be, which is once every so often. When she posts something and it performs well, I hear about it. And it's like, Jeff, I posted five minutes ago. It's already at 500 likes. And I'm like, or 500 views. And I'm like, damn, that's, that's great. Good job, honey. And then like an hour later, holy shit, Jeff, I'm up to 2,000 views. And then a few hours later, Jeff, I'm at 10,000 views. And then later that day, holy shit, it's at 20,000. Next day, Jeff, I'm at 27,000. And I'm like, honey, what the fuck does it matter? Right. That's what I'm thinking to myself. Of course, I don't say that because I like to, to, to have relations with my wife and stay married. But 
what I'm putting together is that, okay, she's a consumer and she is being hit with a massive hit of dopamine is making her feel good. She's consumed with this post that has no value on her life whatsoever. And if, if you don't think that everybody's not the exact same way. So anytime anyone, Tom, Dick, Harry, past customer, your pastor, your friend at church, your, your friend in the Rotary Club, your golfing buddy, every time they post and you comment on it, I tell you what, they're, what guarantees to happen every single fucking time, they notice. And they're not invaded. They posted on social, you took the time to show them a little bit love, and they're like, oh, that was nice. The worst thing that's going to happen is that. Then the next best thing is they're going to like it. The next best thing is they're going to comment. The next best thing is you're going to comment back. And, and what you're doing is, is you're creating, you're, you're hitting them with dopamine. You're, you're staying top of mind now, right? Because now you're hitting them with the feel-good hormone rather than, rather than annoying them at the, at the, at, with a text, with an with a email, with a phone call. And, and now, all of a sudden, in addition to that, the next time you post guess what's going to increase the likelihood of you showing up on their feed? Because the algorithm, this is science, the algorithm is paying attention. So when Scott posts and Jeff likes the post and Scott likes that Jeff liked his post and commented on his post and Scott comments back on Jeff's post, the algorithm simply saying, hmm, they must like each other. Well, ironically, Jeff posted a day or two later and guess who sees it on his feed? Scott. No shit. Like this is the science behind it. And this is all the effort you have to put into it. It is a prospecting tool. It is a top of mind awareness tool. And we all lean into these garbage CRMs. And I'm not, I'm, I'm also not advocating to not have a CRM. We all should have automation because we're fucking lazy and most people aren't gonna do with the shit I'm teaching them anyway. So you should probably have it. But the truth is for anybody who has a CRM and works their CRM, if you actually look at your analytics, what is your unsubscribe rate? Right. It's probably pretty high. Right. <coughs> because... <coughs> excuse me, because people don't, you know, when I know for us, I'll, I'll, I'll use my company as an example. When a loan officer takes an application, it automatically feeds into the CRM and it automatically starts dumping them a bunch of garbage that they didn't ask for. That's why they unsubscribe. Right. And so, now, wait, you mean our clients don't care about flipping their mattress on ma flipping their mattress on New Year's Day or turn back the clock? Turn, oh, dude, I, I use this example in my coaching all the time. I'm like, turn off those automated emails yeah. because Keller Williams still from their CRM, I don't know what it's called, Bold or no, that's their training program. Anyway, whatever the CRM K KW has, I'm on like the email list of like 300 KW people. And every time I get that turn back the clock, I just want to respond to them all and be like, I'm rich. I own an iPhone. It automatically updates for me. And guess what? That thing automatically updates my Alexa apps. And the only thing in my life that I have to change is the fucking clock on my stove. And it drives me nuts. But your email didn't help me change the clock on my stove. It's like borderline insulting. <laughs> that I'm getting the same email from 300 people and it's all telling me, hey, you must be dumb and poor. You should go set your clocks back. Yeah. Um, and I still don't unsubscribe because I don't want the realtor to see that I unsubscribe from their stuff. So I just hide it I'm in a folder right that, now, I'll, never, that I'll never read. They're not even monitoring that. No, of course. But, but, the, but, the re, but the thing is, and the thing I want to, the point I want to get across is just understanding why I say this is your number one prospecting tool because you're meeting your clients where they want to be met. You're already there. You're already sitting on the couch, on the toilet, laying in bed, sitting at the office, scrolling social every fucking day. So in, it, what you have to do is you have to change your intent. Your intent is, I'm bored. I'm going to go see, you know, chicks in bikinis. I'm going to go look at somebody cooking. I'm going to go look at, uh, you know, a 
puppy dogs and cats, right? But the reality is, is what you should be doing is, is you should be creating that same list that you created for your CRM and you should use it as a, just a stalking mechanism. That's the way I'm going to describe it. But really what you're doing is just prospecting and you should be stalking your, your list of people that are in your sphere, past customers, friends, family, SOI, referral partners, and you should just making sure you're always hitting them with dopamine. It's a complimentary tool. It won't take you more than 10 minutes a day. Then when you start combining it with posting, you're showing up in their feed, top of mind awareness. Then when you are doing traditional prospecting and calling your agent on Friday to see if they have any open houses, which they're, by the way, annoyed with, they're more likely to answer your call because now you've been hitting with dopamine. They feel good. They like you. When, you, when they see you at a networking event, Scott, this is one of the biggest things for me. When I started doing social at a high level, this is pre-COVID, and I started wa- and I was walking into networking events, it was an aha moment because people would beeline to me. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, did, am I wearing a magnet? And do I have something written on my forehead? No, they want to come up to me and because they feel comfortable. Oh, somebody we recognize, let's go talk to him. And all of a sudden, I became like the clown in a good way that everybody surrounded when I walked into a room. And I was like, it was another validating moment for me. Years ago, I was like, damn, this is fucking gold, man. I walk in these networking events and I'm like a celebrity. And, and this was back when I was doing stupid shit. Like I was setting physical challenges for myself, which I'd never told you that story. And I, and I created a Facebook group around it. And all people ever wanted to do was talk to me about it. Tell me about how, how's it going? How's your running going? How's this going? And that's, that's another good story actually. So you said something, um, you, you meant you, you hit on it here, which is like, Hey, force yourself to be a creator before you do the consumption. Right? No, no. Force yourself to be yes. Yes. But before you even do that, force yourself to be an intentional user of social. Yes. That's the generic. That was just my, for play on words kind of post. But the truth is when you open up social, there should be three things. There's three non-negotiables. First and foremost, you should be going there to make sure that you're touching the people that matter to you to create top of mind awareness, number one. Number two, create. Always be creating, posting every day because all of those people, now that you're touching, you're gonna show up on their feed. It's intentional. Think about this. If you're a recruiter, if you recruit loan officers, real estate agents, any kind of business, like I'm telling you right now, if you're targeting a loan officer, and you comment consistently on that loan officer's post, I promise you one thing that's not happening. Their current manager's not doing that. Nope, no chance. And you're going to be hitting them, and when they have a bad day, guess what they're going to think of first? And that's the name of the game, right? And so, yeah. so it's, it's, it's showing love. It's, it's outreach. Then it's creation. Then it's notifications. Because once you do the outreach, and then you are posting consistently, people are going to start commenting on your shit. Then your next goal needs to be just living in your notifications. Dude, when I open up Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all of them. So the first thing I do when I go to social is to go to my notifications. That's it. Like I, I live in my notifications because I want to, I don't want to miss a comment. Because if you do all the first number one and number two, and then you don't comment back to people, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, you're it's almost a, disrespectful. It's, it's yeah, you're, for yourself. Right. Stupid. Yeah, if someone's going to take the time to comment on your post, they are raising their hand to have a social conversation with you. Have it, dumbass. Unless it's an ex-girlfriend, maybe let that lie. Unless they might use you for business. And right. <laughs> okay. okay, then maybe. Um, Unless it's going to piss off your current wife. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. that don't do that. Uh, yeah, but when you said, you know, go to social with the intention of being a creator, and we can, we can yeah. wrap all the stuff you just said into a creator before you're a consumer, 
Um, I've just really thought like every like it forced me to delete this game that I've been playing because I was like, oh, all I'm doing is consuming. I have nothing to do with the creation of this game. Uh, it's forced it's forced me since we started working together to go straight to the notifications. It's forced me to post something interesting before I try to consume something interesting. And um, yeah, like you know, Instagram can be a trap. Uh, Instagram all knows of me. Them are. Instagram knows me very well. I, I get I get hot girls. I get jujitsu. And I get gun stuff. Bingo. And sometimes I get hot girls doing jujitsu or hot gun, hot girls shooting guns. And sometimes I get the trifecta of like a jujitsu girl who's hot doing gunplay. And and it's like it can just be an endless waste of like, oh, I need to watch this jujitsu move that I'm never ever ever going to try to pull off. Oh yeah, I should watch this other guy shooting a three gun target that I'm never ever ever going to do in real life. Right. But it's like once you go there with a creator mindset and you're like, oh, I'm going to use social media. I'm not going to let social media use me. It's it's a real game changer and it's it's more of a philosophy that will allow you to be more present focus on your business get something out of this free tool than you know other than just being the product itself it's all like super good mindset stuff and then you got to find somebody like you to sign up for coaching sign, sign find somebody like us to sign up for coaching where you then okay now that i have the right mindset now i need help thinking through the content and what to put up. So maybe like the direction we could go on this, you know, little second hour of the, the podcast here is like, what do you just squeeze in and it'll pop open. Um, uh, by the way, I'm making Jeff smoke a rare uh, quarterly cigar so he won't be able to talk it's tomorrow not, at his mastermind. Switch, it's not a switch or sweet. Yeah, it's not a switch or sweet. Right, right. Um, so yeah, maybe the place that we can go second half of the podcast is like, how do we think through like, do we just post and ghost? Do we put up a bunch of stuff without a strategy and wait, see wait, what wait, hits? Wait, wait. Let me, let me correct we... that real fast. Never, ever, ever post and ghost. That's just dumb. Okay, perfect. So, and so then it's like that's like calling. That's like cold calling a prospect, leaving a voicemail, and they call you back and you don't answer. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, you'd you be surprised how many people do that as well. well. That's just fucking stupid. Get out of the business and go fucking sell gold chains at the mall. That's what I always say. Whatever. So, yeah, so when we're thinking about, let, let's say you're, you're a realtor and you're like, okay, um, I'll give you some of my pet peeves about realtors posting. Pet peeve number one is their, their entire feed is just 100% sterile. It's like listing, five-star review, just sold. Listing, five-star review, just sold. And it's like, okay, well, that gets kind of old because I can only look at so many houses in Henderson, Nevada or Las Feliz, California or whatever. So that's one pet peeve. For some reason, I have this pet peeve around realtors being like $300,000 over asking price or over list price. And I'm like, well, to me, that says you either listed it inappropriately, the market's really in your favor, or you ripped off the buyer. Like none of those things make me feel good. I, I mean, I guess if you're a seller, maybe you're thinking like, oh, this agent's amazing. He got his client an extra 300000 So I guess I understand why they do it. But I have like a lot of pet peeves with how realtors post. So let's lean into like, if you were coaching realtors, which you do a lot of now, what are you recommending to them as far as like strategy, content? You know, what are best social media tips for 2024? Well, first of all, let's just go ahead and digress on what you just said. Those are pet peeves that annoy you. You're in the business. That's your target audience. Imagine what a consumer feels. They don't give a fuck about <laughs> real estate. And, and don't get me wrong. Uh, we do like sexy homes. We do like home walkthroughs. We like before and afters. We like, we actually like shitty homes. Like that's, that is interesting. Here's what's not interesting. Uh, the award you won, uh, Monday market updates, what rates are doing, uh, the award that you won, your volume last year, 
none of that, the, the, the picture at closing with your client, nobody gives a shit. Like they're not opening up Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Nope, not even you listening. You listening to this. You don't give a shit. Like you don't care. And so that's first and foremost. So understanding that, and then that leads into, okay, what does my audience want? And, and the truth is, so when, when I coach this stuff, because I've really studied this over the years and understand the, the objections that, that come with it, don't make this more work. Like I'm not the guy, I'm not the social media coach that, that's going to give you a plan that's going to require you to work six, seven hours a day on social. Absolutely fucking not. Unless you're like me and you just really love it. I'm just fucking psycho. I just learned to enjoy it. Also, it's made me rich. And so I'm leaning into it and I'm going to continue to lean into it. Uh, but, but, the, but the truth is, is like find the things that you're already doing. That's what I did. Remember, it was it was it was my daughter selling Etsy. You know what the I think one of the second videos I did was uh, my stepson was selling candy bars for school. Like every fucking parent in the world goes through. But guess what I did? I made him sit down in front of me in front of the camera and tell Facebook that he was selling candy bars. You know what happened? I pissed my wife off. We sold so many fucking candy bars. She's like, "You're never gonna fucking do this again." <laughs> and I'm like, "But it worked." <laughs> You know, right. and, but that's what people want. Right. And now, and now that was five, six years ago. You, you can't nowadays, everybody's putting their kids in front of the camera selling Girl Scout cookies. Right. Because they followed my lead and maybe not me, but somebody else. Right. And so do you play pickleball? Do you garden? Do you love cigars? Do you love bourbon? Do you love cooking? Do you love reading books? Do you like binge watching Netflix? What do you like doing every day? What are you doing regardless of your career? Just start documenting it. Here's what's going to happen. And, and this is the hard part for people to understand because they want get rich quick. The truth is social media coaches have flawed advice. They will tell you you need to niche down, which is true. But the flawed part of it is that we immediately hear that advice and we want to niche down to what we sell. Houses, mortgages, whatever. Without thinking to ourselves, we don't get to choose our niche. Our audience gets to choose our niche. So what has to happen is you have to do one of, one of several things. Either lean into what makes you a human, which is not extra work. All you want to do is turn the camera on yourself and talk about the things that you do. I did this with fitness. By the way, I'm not a licensed trainer. I'm not a, lic I'm not a, a registered dietitian. None of the things. I'm a human being who works out probably more than the average human being. I've dabbled in veganism and various things just because I like fucking around and I just shared it and it turned out I inspired a lot of fucking people and you know why I think I inspired a lot of people because I'm not a professional I'm real and they're like damn like this is cool and guess what how much extra work it was for me I just had to turn the camera on and post it every once in a while right and so what you have to do is is you have to lean into the things that you're already doing with your life document it share it you're going to confuse the algorithm. That's the bad part. You're going to confuse the algorithm. It's not going to know who to show your shit to because you're going to be posting jujitsu and cigars and, and guns and mortgages and all these various things. And the, the, and the, and the, the algorithm is going to be confused. But what you're doing is, is you're, letting, you're letting your audience decide by their engagement which one do they like the most. Then once they decide, you start to lean into it. Now, the most, the most common easy strategy to jump into in the real estate industry is a geographic area. Become an aggregator of all the things going on in the community because we all love the community that we live in. 
We love it. We need it. We all need somebody telling us where's the best place to take pictures with Santa. Where's the best place to have breakfast with Santa? Where's the best places to take my spouse for Valentine's Day? Where's the best places to go drink green beer? Where was the best place to go watch the, the championship game tonight? Which, by the way, Michigan is now whooping their ass. It's, they just scored again, 34 to 13. Ooh, you called At it, At the man. time of this recording, I did. You and if this score holds up, I'll have a good night. Nice. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but, but that's what they want. And so, to me, ge- a geographic strategy, which we haven't talked about, I teased it, is, is probably the lowest hanging fruit for our industry. But the truth is, if you're watching or listening to this, eventually, I've been preaching this for years, people are going to jump on and it's going to get diluted. And the best people who own the attention are going to kick your ass and you're going to have no chance. You're going to have to figure out what's next. I don't know what that is yet. Uh, So at the Lake of the Ozarks, good luck competing with me because I've got 46,000 followers on TikTok that are highly engaged about the Lake of the Ozarks. I've now taken it to YouTube. Uh, I've been there for six months. I have 750 organic subscribers. I've taken it to Instagram. I'm just repurposing content. I got 1,500 followers without doing a fucking thing. My VA does it all. Yeah. I've got a Facebook group. Which, by the way, in the grand scheme of things, when it's like, oh, well, this person has 3 million followers and 13 million followers. But who cares? Because none of them are buying product. Mm -hmm. But if you have 1,300 people in the Ozarks that eventually want to buy the product that you're selling, aka real estate, mortgage, an Ozark-branded widget, like 1,500 followers, a lot of fucking money. Yeah, I'll give you a great example. I did a post recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and, and, this, and this is the fun part, by the way. Because I've become such the aggregator, my audience now will share with me shit that they find out before I find it out. And so somebody shared with me an article that was live for 10 minutes from a, a local news aggregator in the Ozarks about a bar going up for sale, a very popular bar. So I was like, thank you, and I'm going to go snip a few pictures and shoot a green screen. That video got 60, this is just on TikTok, 65,000 views. That doesn't really matter. That's vanity, right? It got a bunch of comments. Here's where the gold is. 2,200 shares, 2,200. Now think about it. No one from China and India or Miami or fucking Vegas is sharing that. They don't give a fuck. Right. Only people sharing that does Captain Ron's mean something to. Right. That's 2,200 people that just exposed me to how many, know, how, who knows how many thousands of people that might have been drawn to my brand, drawn to my business, saw me that now I'm just sucking people in, sucking people in. And I'll, I'll go deeper on some strategies here because the truth is, 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 this, is still a, this is still a work in progress. And, and I'm going to say this. So when I did this, this is less than a year and a half ago. I was, uh, I've been on TikTok since the beginning because of my kids. Uh, so I was lucky. Uh, in fact, I didn't, I've never told you the story. My, that same daughter was having me in this, you know, she's this a few years ago. So she's probably 16, 17. She was telling me, hey, dad, let's do this dance with me. You know, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And I was like, what is this TikTok, right? And I'm just, but I just played along with her because she was trying to go viral because that's what the app was at the time. Three, four, five, six times after her asking me, I'm like, what is this? Like, let me check this out. And then I started to, I started to actually have fun with it and enjoy it with her, which was actually a great parenting thing as well. But then I started to think, hmm, I think there's something here, but there were only 15 second videos at the time. So I'm like, I see this as a teaser to a longer listing video because there's a really lot of cool effects within this TikTok. And you can do things that you can't do inside the Facebook 
or the fucking Instagram, right? And so I started to play with it. I started to go on stages and talk about TikTok, and everybody was like, you're a fucking idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. It's a bunch of teenage girls. For about a year, year and a half, I was a fucking idiot. Then all of a sudden, the tide turned. I became a genius overnight. Like some like massive real estate influencers started to take me serious. And I don't know where the fuck I was going with that. But the, the bigger point is that if it is, is leaning in. So, so what, oh, the back to the Ozarks. So I was on TikTok for a long time, just posting my own advice. I was posting personal shit, my kids, my life. I was posting video tips and social media tips because that's really what I want to be known for, right? And I was posting Ozarks. And at, this is about a two-year run. It was August of 2022, right? So little, little uh, not quite a year and a half ago. Uh, I had another Ozarks video go viral. And by viral, I mean like hundreds of thousands of views. Like not millions, but 150,000. Which is all you need for a small that's community. All, that's all you need, yeah. And I, and I turned to my, my, one of my business partners, Tristan, and I was like, dude, like how long do I need to see this to realize my audience is exactly telling me what they want? And I'm like, I'm done. I'm fuck, I'm done. I'm going all in on the Ozarks. So at the time, I said, all I'm going to do is post Ozarks. I'm going to commit to one year and I'm going to post every day. And I'm just going to batch content because I'm not there. I'm only there pretty much in the summer. And I'm just going to batch a bunch of content and I'm just going to create content and post something every single day. And it was a month later, no joke, a month later. It was, it was mid-August and then September 15th, I got a message on Facebook from somebody in Colorado. Mind you, this is in Missouri. Somebody in Colorado messages me and say, hey, Jeff, you're the Lake of the Ozarks expert. We're thinking about buying there. Can you give me some advice? I'd never posted anything about real estate, anything about mortgages, nothing. This person reaches out to me. We get into a conversation. It turns out there's two buyers that wanted to buy investment properties at the Lake of the Ozarks that I now became a rainmaker for a real estate agent on. And I was like, this went way better than I thought. That was a month. And, and then I was all in. And so now I've gone... All, all in on this shit. And a year and a half later, I've had four or five brand deals. I've had more products sent to me for free than I can count. And I don't care about any of that. Uh, I had a broker approach me from Kansas City, Missouri last spring. So we are recording this in January. Yeah. Yep. Uh, in January. And, and last spring, he approached me and said, hey, I've got a, he's got a hundred agent brokerage in Kansas City. We knew each other from the speaking circuit. But we didn't know each other that well. And he approached me and said, I've been watching you. I love what you're doing. I want your influence. I'm expanding to the Ozarks. Will you be my partner? And you know, as a mortgage guy, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm containing my, my excitement at this point, right? Right. And, and then I'm also thinking, okay, you've got a 100-agent brokerage in Kansas City that we're now actually partnering with as well. Um, and, and so it's like, for any, so for anybody who's asking me, and, and by the way, we have sourced multiple buyers. We've sold multiple properties because now I get real estate agents that reach out to me that say, hey, will you do my property? Because I also, in, in addition to all of the aggregation, lifestyle content, I do local business highlights. I do, it's a lot of boating content because it's a boating community. Uh, it's, it's news. I aggregate the news. I go to local sources who do it the traditional way, put it on a website, I snip pictures, put it behind a green screen, and talk about it. That's it. Uh, when something, when a boat crash happens, I usually will get on there, and and usually it's you know somebody's doing something stupid, and I'll get, I'll put the pictures in front of the camera and say, look at you know this idiot, and shit goes viral. I'll get two million views on those, and some people just say I'm harsh, and most people agree with me because if you're boating at night and you're drunk, you're a fucking idiot. Right. Uh, I think that goes without saying. I'm I'm surprised yeah. that that's harsh. Believe it or not. 
And, and so anyways, that's what I do now. And so now all of a sudden this has grown into something far. I'm only, I'm less than a year and a half in. We just started a brokerage. We just landed our first agent. And, and, uh, so now I've got some next level plans because the next question I have from people are, is, all right, what are you going to do? When are you going to start marketing business? And my answer honestly is, and this is still a work in progress. I don't know that I ever am. I don't know that I'm ever going to sell out even though I've earned the right to, I've earned my audience because of what I am and who I am and what I've provided. And, and here's, here's another part of the story. There are creators at the Lake of the Ozarks because I judge myself based on my competition. I go to TikTok, I'll type in the search bar, Lake of the Ozarks. I'll type in like certain search terms just to see who's doing creation at my level or at any level to see what I'm up against. I'm winning the game. I have the most followers and the most engagement, but there's a, there's a few creators that are doing it like super sexy. There's a drone operator, that motherfucker puts out some great content. Sometimes I steal his shit, give him credit, and just repurpose it. Right. And I get more engagement than he does. Moral of the story is, is that is that I'm just trying to own the attention and own the audience, but I know what they want from me, right? So the next level of this is, and I've told our first agent this, who, if you called him and asked him, his name is Ramsey Stewart. He's actually based out of Lebanon, Missouri, which is about 45 minutes outside the lake. He said, the reason I want to join you is because I want access to all the media things I know I can get and learn from you. And you can, and I think that's the future of real estate. And, and I told him, I said, your next listing, here's what I think I want to do. Not only we're going to, we're going to do a video and we're going to post about it and blah, 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 whatever. We'll get some attention. It may or may not sell a property. Most of the time it doesn't, it's just attention, right? Um, what I want to do is, and there's a couple things, there's a couple points here. I want to first, I want to do a voicemail drop to the neighborhood. That's common, right? And in fact, the reason I got this idea was because I got a voicemail drop in my condo complex and it was the worst fucking voicemail I've ever heard, but God gave me an idea. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a voicemail drop within that community. And I'm going to say, hey, it's Jeff Fitzer with Lake of the Ozarks Lifestyle. If you already follow me, thank you so much for your loyalty. If you have no idea who I am, we are on every social channel. We put out content around the Lake of the Ozarks. You'll probably enjoy it. Go follow us on the page that you enjoy the most. So I'm not going to push TikTok because I know some people are against TikTok, right? And, and then I'm going to, then from there, I'm going to segue into, oh, and by the way, we also help sell real estate and we've got a listing in your neighborhood. So I just wanted to let you know, if you know anybody looking to buy or sell, blah, 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 is for sale. And if you're ever looking to sell, one of the things we're great at is getting attention to your property. We will get you the most eyeballs and help you sell your property. So just don't forget us when it's your time to sell. That's number one strategy. Number two, I'm going to, you know, USA Mortgage is really strong in the marketing field. We've got a marketing department. The way I describe it is, this is the only thing I'll say about us, is that it's like, a, it's like a, 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 an ad agency met Kinko's. So really good. And it's built for realtors. And I'm now going to leverage that as a real estate side. And we're going to create postcards for our listings and, and a variety of things. I'll give you a couple ideas. So we're going to do a postcard, same concept, QR code, driving people to our socials. Because at the end of the day, I don't even give a shit about selling a house. I want to drive more people to my social. The more eyeballs I get on my social, the more fucking properties I'm going to end up selling. The more sellers are going to reach out to us because the future of our world is going to relate to eyeballs right? It's not going to relate to signs in the yard. It's not going to relate to billboards anymore. The future of our world is going to relate to eyeballs on social. When I walk into a listing appointment and everybody gives the same pitch, but my pitch includes the hundreds of thousands of eyeballs I'm going to get in your property and I have proof to show you, guess who's going to probably win a lot of those listings? We are. My agents are, right? Um, 
the other the other side of it is is we do a lot of community content and so recently we did our first top five video i actually a bunch of realtors that i'm recruiting of course we, we got together and we i did a video saying hey we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do a video on the top five pizza joints and we're gonna do this on every fucking everything that you can possibly top five it so we did the top five pizza joints i let my audience choose which are the top five so then we took we aggregated that we then got together we did a video together i'm gonna do a postcard I'm going to do a postcard that says we did a top five video, the top five pizza joints at the Lake of the Ozarks. And on the postcard, I'm going to list five, four, three, blank, blank. You want to see what the top two were? Scan the QR code and go watch our YouTube video. Another thing I'm going to do, every time I highlight... By the way, can I just say it's like, this is the type of stuff that people need to be thinking about, mm-hmm. right? Because there's some ad agency out there who's like, oh, social is just a waste of time. It's a time waster. Do postcards. And that. and some people are saying, oh, you got to go all in on social. There's no place anymore for print media or old school marketing or old school lead generation. And it's like, no, there's a merging of the two where like, I don't get nearly as much junk mail as I used to because everybody's trying to go on social, right? But the reality is I love my buddy, Mike. I know Mike works his ass off. I know when he came and cleaned my carpets, they looked pristine. I don't want to follow his social and learn more about the techniques of cleaning carpets. So I need to get a postcard from him or some type of other material, you know, telling me about the top five pizza joints. So I follow his carpet cleaning business, right? Because it's like, I don't care about cleaning carpets. I just want clean carpets. So I I like that there's this merging of like new school, old school, et cetera, et cetera. There's so much shit, man. There's so much shit that we can do with this. The next idea I was going to tell you. So, and and by the way, there's two things I will say with this. Every time, and, and this isn't new, like highlighting local restaurants, highlighting a restaurant, highlighting local businesses. That's not new. Nobody sticks with it. Right. Right. And so, but here's the point that people are missing. They, they go do this expecting either A, virality, or B, sales. But what you're missing the point on is, is that every time you go into a restaurant or local business to highlight them, you're making a connection to likely a homeowner or somebody who will buy a home. Make a strong connection, personal connection, because but first of all, they're going to fucking love you because you are giving them free promotion, Right. But then make sure you pull them into your web, put them into your CRM, follow up with them, patronize their business, remind them what you do for a living, because I promise you they're going to reciprocate, right? The next thing I'm going to do is this. We're going to go back to the local businesses, every restaurant and local business that I've ever highlighted. I'm going to walk in there with a framed QR code picture that says, go check out our highlight video on YouTube. Maybe 50% will allow us to hang it in their store or restaurant. But guess what's going to happen? Everybody that walks up to that sign, it's going to create intrigue. Ooh, what's this? Oh, it's a cool video. And guess what's going to happen? I'm promoting their business. I'm driving them to my YouTube channel to watch their video and probably is going to turn into a subscription from another consumer that I'm also pulling into my web. So I hope everybody listening to this right now is writing down these fucking notes or rewinds everything I just described because I just gave you some fucking golden notes and tickets that I haven't even implemented yet that are going to get stolen. Promise you. One, one out of 3,000 people will do it. If that. If that, right? It's like uh, I have a, uh, for our coaching group, I have this 70-page templates, workflows, quality questions, email templates. I give it away for free all the time 
Because I know if people aren't in coaching and I'm not reminding them all the time to do the things that we know they need to do, they're just not going to do it. I actually had a good friend of mine named Mulaney who worked for me for about a year. And man, I wish she lived out here and not in Florida because the the time change just ended up becoming too much for her to handle. And it was like, it was unfair because she was basically working 20 hours a day with the time change. Um, and when she first started working for me, she had been in my coaching for a while. Her first comment was like, oh, you, you actually use all these templates and emails and workflow? And I'm like, yeah, how do you think we create a scalable, sustainable business? And she was kind of shocked, but then we, you know, we brought her into the fold. And I give away that stuff for free all the time because people won't use it no, unless they're in coaching. That's it, dude. I mean, what you just said is so amazing. Years ago when I started doing this, my loan officers, and this is when I was very active in the mortgage business and I was still managing and coaching my LOs. I would have LOs tell me, why are you sharing this stuff on social? Why are you sharing our secrets? That's exactly what they would say, our secrets. And I'm like, first of all, it's not a secret. I learned it from someone else. Second of all, what the fuck are you doing with it? And, and so, again, anybody listening to this, and part of the reason why Scott and I are here together tonight is that how well this blends and works together. Because if you take what I'm teaching you if you're already doing what Scott has taught you, but now you implement what I'm doing, I'm telling you it's going to make what you're doing with Scott way more magical. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, but it's also, it's, it's a long game. I mean, you mentioned it, you know, it's like every once in a while people get lucky and they'll post, you know, let's go back to your original question. What should a realtor be posting about? And, and, you know, we talked about what they shouldn't be posting about. Right. I talked about a geographical strategy. I do create content for people within my coaching platform. And as you said yourself. Good night, guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> nice to meet you. Just more proof that I film the podcast from our garage <laughs> is uh, my kids will just come in and randomly say good night. So what you said, you said it like you, I sent you the spreadsheet. You looked at it and you're like, this is stupid. Like one, like examples. I'll give you an example. 12 household items you shouldn't flush down your toilet. Um, uh, 10 reasons how you know your refrigerator might be on the fritz. You know, all this just random, what you might think is stupid shit. The truth is, closing photos are stupid shit. Money market updates are stupid shit. The stuff I just described, uh, I, I've been doing a lot of the top 10, like top 10 cities to move to in 2024, top 10 cities not to move to in 2024. Uh, people like that stuff. They're there for that mindless, useless content. And the truth is that refrigerator post might've actually been valuable to somebody. That what not to flush down the toilet as I did the video and there was literally 12 household items. I was like, oh shit, I didn't know you couldn't flush that down the toilet. Like I had no idea. And then there was other items like, why would you flush this down the toilet? Why are you even having to say this? But it's, it's, it's interesting. But that, and the reason why I created it was because I created this platform for LOs because it's what a realtor should be posting and they're not. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to help LOs become that gatekeeper, that authority. I, I can't be the authority to the entire industry across the United States. So I'm trying to make a bunch of fucking soldiers and there's a lot of opportunity. And, and then if you merge, if you're already good at what Scott teaches and then you apply what I'm teaching, I'm telling you right now, the one thing we haven't mentioned, Scott, we've got a boom coming. And it ain't going to be with baby boomers. They're going to be selling, moving into retirement homes. So there's, there's some value to real estate agents there. There's no fucking value to us mortgage people. We don't get any value from the baby boomers selling their home, moving into a retirement home. 
we get value from the millennial and the Gen X, the Gen Z are buying the home. And those motherfuckers, they don't want to talk to us on the phone. They don't want to respond to texts. Texts. Is that a word? Texts. <laughs> they don't, they, they want to snap. They want to get to know you parasocially before they will, if you even call them, I'm telling you what they're doing. They go and like, hmm, who's this Scott Groves guy? I'm going to go check him out on Instagram. If he's not on Instagram, I'm not going to fucking call him back. Like that's the, that is the fucking psychology of humans going forward. And if you don't start embracing that and accepting that and, and realizing that that is where it's going, you might as well go ahead and start working on your retirement speech for the next couple of years because it is over. Because in three, four years from now, that is going, Gen Z is the future of the world. And we all think they're fucking lazy, but they're about ready to run the world. Yeah. And so you better start figuring out how to sell to them because it ain't, it ain't through newspapers. It ain't through billboards. It ain't through any traditional means of prospecting. Like all that stuff that you did is going to drive them to your social. They're going to stalk you and see if you're relevant. And I'm going to tell you, dude, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm 46 years old. Anytime a resume comes across my desk, and it's funny, I don't even do this anymore. My partner does. And guess what he does every fucking time? Social. So, yeah. And you know what I, you know what happens? He'll like text me a picture because whenever there's a good looking gal, this is who, this is the resume. We just, you know, that's just the immature bullshit that we, that we deal with. But the truth is he goes and stalks them. You know why? Because he's trying to figure out if they're a cultural match. If you're a loan officer and you want to come work for us, I know already if you're into social, you're going to fucking love us because you're going to love Jeff, right? Uh, if you're not into social, eh, it probably will be less of a draw. Yeah. So I, I want to think, like, if we think over the next five years, right? Because, again, I'm always trying to think, where is the loan officer or the realtor rolling their eyes? And I'll tell you where I think the loan officer is rolling their eyes, and I think I'll tell you where I think the realtor is rolling their eyes. So the loan officer says, okay, that's great, Jeff. I put up this social content. I put up the silly video you told me to do about the top 10 reasons your refrigerator might be dying. I build trust. I build rapport. And then at the moment of impact, the Gen Zer still, you know, Googled the article on how to shop for a mortgage, and their first question is, what's the rate? Can I get a lower rate? Uh, this other company will give me a lower rate. Hey, thanks for all the education. And I got a buddy of mine. He won't mind me using him by name. Uh, Matt, the mortgage guy, who has a massive YouTube following, you know, relative to what loan officers can get. He he gets on these calls where these clients are like, oh, Matt, I love you, man. I've been watching your educational videos for a year. I'm finally ready to get pre-approved. Let's get pre-approved. He goes through the whole buyer spiel, the whole concept, the whole consult. But guess what? The type of people who found their loan officer on YouTube are also the type of people who will go rate shop 19 different lenders at the moment of impact. And he's to the point where he's like, man, I love the referrals I'm getting. We're still closing some deals from there, but it's become more like a you know Zillow lead long form where you're gonna close one out of 100 because at the moment of impact, these people are like, man, I love you. Thank you so much for the 27 hours of free education and the kitschy videos. And I just, I feel like I know you from Instagram, Matt. And you know, this other guy down the street's giving me a quarter better because at the end of the day, we are a commodity business. So how can loan officers either refine their process or refine their social media or tell the story or whatever to limit that? Or is there ever going to be a point where we can limit that? Because unfortunately, we loan officers have backed ourselves into a corner. And because you're 46, I'm turning 45 here in a month, you'll remember this. <clears throat> you'll remember the principal group, uh, maybe Northwestern Mutual, Fidelity. They would advertise, 
get a fixed rate annuity at 6.25%, right? Or they would say like, our Magellan fund has averaged 9.72% over the last 10 years, da, 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 da. And financial firms used to do that. And then not for regulatory reasons, at some point they all got together like a mob and they said, you know what? We're not gonna advertise rates anymore. And so now you see a financial planning commercial and it looks like a Viagra commercial where it's like, when you're retired, do you wanna sit in the upper deck or do you wanna sit courtside, blah, 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 blah. And they've gotten completely away from selling the rate. So in the last, let's call it 20 years, whereas the financial planning industry and the insurance industry has gone to this advertisement model of like peace of mind, consultant advice mortgage has gone the other way where the only thing we fucking advertise and we've done it to ourselves is we advertise what's the rate what's the rate what's the rate and so when i think about where the audience might be rolling their eyes yes and i believe everything you're saying and at the moment of impact wouldn't it make sense to just cut every expense to the bone and be the low-cost leader you know, to your point, Scott, I watch uh, Legal Eagle on YouTube, as millions of other people do. He now advertises his legal services in his videos. But to your point, like, I feel like since he's a huge, successful YouTuber, he's probably too expensive for me. So if I needed a lawyer for something, he probably wouldn't be my first call, which is counterintuitive to his channel, right? So, yeah, I don't know. I just... Good point. Yeah. These are, these are good objections. So, first of all, I don't advocate for YouTubing about mortgage. First of all, um, that's, I, I think if anybody heard anything that I've said here, it was to provide the value to our number one lead source. Uh, you know, and, and, and so here's the thing. One of the things you have to, and, I, and this is this audience, I can certainly speak this to, and with my experience, I think I can speak to it, is that we all know that these are cycles that we go through. And right now we're in a low rate, I'm sorry, a high rate, which is high rate volatility cycle. But over the last 13 years since Dodd-Frank, correspondent lenders have dominated. Brokers were damn near out of business. They've made a comeback over the last two years. Uh, and I'm, by the way, I am not biased to either one because I'm pretty much removed from it all. Yeah. I and see you've done all both. sides of it. <laughs> yes, both. Uh, here's what I would say. You have to decide, I, I think the decision that I think any lender has to make right now is, where do you think the industry's going? And, and so if you think that this is the new norm, then damn it, you should probably join a broker. Uh, because you can do this stuff, well, everything that I'm describing on a low budget, if you're just committed to it. If you think it's gonna go back to the way it was, then rate will become a non-issue again. We all remember exactly what it was like pre-2022. Rate was not a fucking issue. It was more about resources and value and who was the most visible. And that's the way it has been since basically 2010, right? Now, here we are in a very unique cycle. So you have to decide for yourself. And, and honestly, I think every loan officer listening to this, and this is way outside the box for me, is, is, you know, I don't even think it comes down to the company as much as it does the people. You know, uh, it, you know if, if you're at a broker shop and you have great leadership with great support, fuck, why, why would you even consider leaving? It, it, even though at the broker shop, it's probably a scaled down model and you probably don't have a ton of resources like you do at a, at a bigger box that has more resources. If you've got great, and same thing for the person at the big box. Maybe your rate's a little bit higher, but if you've got fucking amazing support and you can get deals done, go fucking switch to that broker shop and guess what happens the first time you fucking have, you beat somebody's rate, but you can't close the goddamn deal. 
doesn't fucking matter, right? We all know the game. So, I mean, this is not rocket science. It's just a matter of figuring out where are your people at? Because I here's my opinion. My opinion is that this industry, I, I believe that our world is controlled by big industry and the one who has the most money wins. And I don't think our industry is any different. And I do not think you're going to keep the big box down. They got too much money. They feed money to the right places. And you all know exactly what I'm talking about. The broker will not be able to compete with that. And rates will become a non-issue like they have been. And even if you stay at a broker, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. You can still do just, in fact, I would argue now more than ever, you have the resources to be competitive if you apply exactly what I'm teaching. Because you're not going to have the resources that a mortgage company that has these massive marketing departments had. But when they get back to it, you're never going to have that at a broker shop, right? But you could go start a fucking local YouTube channel. Right. You could go start a local geographic TikTok. I'm giving anybody at any company ammo to survive, to win, period. Because at the end of the day, what's going to happen is, is and, and again, it goes back to what I, how I describe where I've gone, where I've gone, which is my phone started to ring. I started to attract business. I hate recruiting. I hate chasing. Hate it. It's not sustainable. I don't want to do it. And I want to attract. And I think ultimately, no matter what side of the fence you're on, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just got to figure out what's the most effective way to market and also understanding that the world evolves, the world changes, and you're living in a fucking cave if you think what we did back in 1995 is what we're going to continue to do in 2025. It ain't, it ain't the way it is. Right. It's changing. Let, let's end on this conversation because I think this is so much more relevant to realtors than it's ever been because of these lawsuits that are now getting settled and copycat lawsuits where you know, buyers, uh, buyer agents in the real estate world are going to have to have a lot more disclosure. They're going to have to tell the buyer how they're getting paid. The buyer might be able to negotiate. And I'm just thinking of the agents who work under you in the Lake of the Ozarks where everybody knows that they're a subject matter local expert, right? It just, it would seem easier for an agent who has that cachet of being a local area expert to go in and say, oh yeah, we, we charge 3% as a buyer's agent because we know the lay of the land. We have the insider scoop on what's going on. We're gonna be able to direct you to all the local resources. We know why you might wanna buy in this cove, but uh, not that cove. Um, so I think I get it for realtors, but tell me what you think you see the landscape now that you're a co-owner in a broker shop like, or in a, in a, in a real estate brokerage. Um, this is so much more relevant to you than maybe it is the average loan officer. Where do you think the industry goes with these lawsuits, these changes, this like, what I think is going to be a sea change of how buyers, agents approach business. I mean, you and I talked about it off air, and that is that I don't believe that much is going to change, maybe in the short term, but what's going to end up happening because NAR is so powerful. Somehow, some way, this is going to come back to mortgage, and we're going to have to bend over somehow, some way to help make this shit continue to flow, Right. Um, it, even if it doesn't putting my real estate hat on this, honestly, I mean, from, from my seat, I actually like it because it means it's going to go to a listing agent dominated industry and guess who gets the most listings, 
right? The one with the most attention. I mean, it, traditionally, the one on the billboard, the one with the most signs in the yard. That was the way it's been for the last 20 years. The next 20 years, it's going to be the agent who owns the attention of the consumer, and it's going to be on social. And, and, and so it's, it's, so as it relates to, I don't know if you're, you're asking me how it relates to mortgage, the thing that you have to understand as a, as a mortgage, as, as a mortgage professional is that you can continue to be a commodity forever, or you can flip the table like I did. And that's what you really want to be. You want to be more valuable than their broker. You know, exactly the platforms I've built, every platform that I've built, which is another one we haven't talked about, which is you know, trying to basically be the gatekeeper to something that their broker can't offer, which is trainings at a high level that their broker can't offer. And, and we're talking about real estate brokers. Yeah. 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 And, and, but, but again, going back to the mortgage piece, like at the end of the day, m realtors don't really give a shit about rate. It's not the rate. It's, 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 it's the service. It's what is the reflection on them right now? Rate is paramount. Don't get me wrong, but Anybody who's been in the business as long as me and you, how long has rate been this paramount? Yeah, our, 18 in, months, 14 months, it, something like that. But, uh, but uh, of the last 24 years, right? maybe there was another window, but really, honestly, I don't, there's never been a time like this. And, and so again, if you think this is the way that it's going, if you're hanging your hat on price, you're a shitty salesman. Shitty. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it, I, again, I, I'm not, I'm, and listen, let me, let me, let me go ahead and, and describe this. The brokerage that I chose to align with is strategically a 100% brokerage with a transaction fee and a lower cap than pretty much any broker on the planet. Why? Because I know, I think I know where real estate is going. So this is me throwing myself under the bus on the conversation I'm having about low rates. But because I think that my way to winning in real estate is going to be volume. And, and I know that I'm not going to win every real estate agent over with my media shit. So I've got two, I got two fucking bullets in my gun. You want the best price? You're going to make the most money on your dollar? Or you want my media? Or you're going to get both. Whether you want it or not. And so, you know, that's, that's my angle. And anybody in real estate listening to this at a traditional big box... I'm going to fuck you up. Like I, I, I say that in the most, in the most competitive and also not really arrogant way, like good luck because I'm going to provide higher level coaching than you, more relevant coaching, innovative coaching, all the shit with the lowest price. Guess why? I don't, Scott, this is a side project for me, right? This is a fuck you project. Honestly, this is, this is, this started to prove everybody wrong that TikTok was, was relevant. Right. That's how it started. <laughs> And now here we are, and now I'm on a mission to fuck shit up. And, and so, I, you know, again, I don't know how it's going to, I don't know exactly how it's going to go for mortgage, but I do, I do believe based on my experience, and I've, again, I've been in this business since 2000, I don't think this is magically, I, I don't think it's over. Because here's the reality. If, if, if it's over, in other words, this is a new, the new normal, and it's all about price, let me give you all a newsflash. You're going to be replaced by robots. Yep. You're all fucked up. You're done. If <clears> right. this is about price, you're all going to be out of a job. So you better start changing the way you fucking think. Because if it's about price, a robot is going to answer them at three o'clock in the morning when you're trying to sleep. A robot is going to be more eloquent than you. They already are. 
I mean, I tell my loan officers and realtors all the time, do not use that chat GPT script. They, it's way more eloquent than you. Make it real, right? And, and so it's like if, if it, all of you that think you're going to dominate with price, you're going to put yourself out of a job yeah. because you're removing the human element. Actually, that's the first time I've talked about that. And in my own head, I'm like, fuck, I'm right. Like, that's what's going to make us get replaced by robots if we become about price. Yeah. I, uh, I invested in a uh, contact management system. We're, we're probably even going to position it as an anti-CRM. It's called Fledge. And it's because the, the kind of guiding principle is if you're trying to automate yourself out of a CRM that does everything... Like if you're trying to automate yourself out of the business with a CRM that does everything, you might just automate yourself out of the business. Yeah. And so Fledge, the idea is like, there's no automation other than a brief text message to the realtor to tell them that you've updated the client. Um, but the goal is like, you walk in every morning and what a CRM should be, here's your list of 20 calls for today. You know, you make your 20 calls, right? And then you use that to connect with your realtors because it's like in that quadrant of ways you can reach out, giving them the dopamine hit via social media is one of them. Giving them an update on somebody they've already referred you is the most powerful thing because then you just throw in a request for another referral when you're updating them on the existing referral. And then you can do the traditional stuff, inviting them to a lunch and learn, giving them some product or pricing update or something like that. But when you think of these four quadrants of um, marketing and social media and lead generation, or it's really lead generation all in these four quadrants. Chris, you should actually make a note of that. We should come up with a graphic of that, like the four quadrants of... Um, of lead generation or the four quadrants of follow-up. The idea with Fledge is like, don't automate yourself out of the business by trying to have this trigger email and if this, then that. It's like, you gotta go be a human, even on social media, interact, give an authentic comment. Don't don't try to create some bot that does it for you. And then, you know, give the updates on your existing clients and existing referrals. And that's what I believe in, right? Like given the opportunity to invest in that or invest in some AI automation done for you loan officer shit, I don't want anything to do with that. That's a great point, dude. I mean, it, now that we're getting down to brass tacks, and the one thing you haven't asked me was is, and people do ask me, can I just hire somebody to do it for me? And I will tell people all the time, I will not take your money if that's what you expect. If you're not willing to invest some time and energy into this, it's not going to work. And you're exactly right. Those who are, and, and I'm actually... I'm actually contracted by a coaching platform that is continuing to push the AI envelope and it goes against every fiber of my being. And because that's the thing, it's like you use AI to create shortcuts. You use AI to make you more efficient. You don't use AI to replace you. If you use AI to replace you, if you think you're so fucking smart, that you're going to sit back on your couch and collect checks because AI is going to do your job for you. And guess what? There's going to be somebody smarter than you that replaces you with the fucking robot that's doing your job, dipshit. Like, totally. stop. Somebody, hey, Chris, you're going to have to look this up. Um, look up how many potential chess moves are there after like the first eight moves. I think there's something like the number, every, every time I look it up, it's like astronomical. It's like there's a billion potential chess moves after like the four opening moves in the way that the game could end, right? Because it's like you can end in this pawn here and this king here. And it's like it, there's an insane number of potential moves. So the number of pile, pl pl plies, which is a half move after the eighth one, 
is $84,998,978,956. Yes. So there is 84 billion possible Holy moves shit. in chess, and a computer has figured out chess, and loan officers are so obnoxious. We're like, oh, or, and realtors are so obnoxious also. Oh, there, there's no way a computer can my, do my job. The average real estate contract's like 17 pages, okay? Lending, way more complicated than the real estate contract. There's about 5,000 pages of guidelines and rules and VA handbook and FHA rules and down payment assist. But 84 billion potential chess moves versus eh, 5,000 pages of loan guidelines. And and loan officers, they say it all the time. It's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so smart. I'm so smart. Uh, a computer couldn't figure it out. It's like, well, a computer has beat chess. Like the best chess player in the world, Carlson Magnuson, I think that's his name, Carl Magnuson, has no chance against a computer. A computer will just wipe his ass in like a 10-game um, uh, match. And somehow we think that like computers can't replace us if we allow them to. I mean, so anybody in the mortgage business already knows that we are very, we're at the precipice of underwriters and processors being replaced. Yeah. It's not far off. Right. It's kind of scary. I mean, I, I hope there's none of them listening to this because if I'm your spouse... I'm like, we need to find another career because it's only a matter of time. The writing's yeah. on the wall. Yeah. Have you heard about Clarity, by the way? Uh, so Synergy won the company that I work for, and a couple other mortgage companies are test piloting this. So this is getting really in the in the weeds for somebody who's not in the business, but hopefully they checked out a long time ago. So, you know, you and I, we run our DU, our desktop underwriting, and desktop underwriting gives us the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac guidelines. Yes, the client's approved, and here's your here's your kind of list of guidelines or rules or conditions. But you and I know as lenders, those conditions aren't the real conditions because then it goes to an underwriter and they come up with the real conditions, right? And this is where all the problems and all the headaches happen. Well, what Clarity is doing is it's aggregating all of the man-made written conditions that have ever existed on any file for a company, comparing that against DU, and then it's saying, okay, well, DU findings say you need one year of tax returns if the client's been in the field for five years. But then Clarity, this AI tool, will compare the application of the DU findings, and it'll say, oh, okay, you can use one year of tax returns. We're conditioning out for proof that this client's real estate license has been active for more than five years. So what'll happen is during the pre-approval stage or when I first get the file, I can run DU and I'll get the findings, but then I'll run Clarity and it will give me the underwriting conditions. And if you're using Clarity, the underwriter cannot change the conditions. So it's like we're, we're now test piloting that AI can completely replace the underwriter or make them a true one-touch situation because the computer will tell you this is the interpretation of the guidelines that this very specific client in this very specific job has to satisfy before you can clear the loan. And the thought is, which has been you know the holy grail forever, is that you can have a loan clear to close on the same day that it goes under contract. And we're getting pretty fucking close, which means you might need like one underwriting supervisor for 100 files a month. And now twelve underwriters are out of a job. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty scary stuff. And that's not even that's not even talking about. And I, I've been interviewing uh, the company called Consortia and La, on LabCode Agents, and they've been the one building the blockchain for real estate. And they're talking about how blockchain is going to just massively speed up everything. Yeah. And it's like it's like that's all good and well, but a, a seller still is going to need thirty days, <laughs> right? But you're going to be clear to close in ten. Right. Like, right. like the average, that's their goal. They say it. Like they're, they're, what their goal is for the industry is to make the average CTC in like 15 days. 
Yeah. And I'm like, that's all good and well. It ain't going to matter. It's not going to move up closing on a sale, but it's going to make for a lot less stress. A lot less stress. And, and, uh, and a lot lower cost basis, right? Because like, why do we need title insurance? Title insurance is the only insurance I'm familiar with that insures things that happened in the past. You know, we just came across the new year. It's January of 2024. What happens if on January 1st, 2024, your insurance company called you and they're like, hey, guess what, Scott? Um, you didn't have any claims in 2023, so we're gonna go ahead and insure you for 2023. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. I'm insuring stuff that happens in the future, but title insurance is such a racket. It insures stuff that happened in the past. Like that fee should go instead of, you know, on a million dollar purchase, a $3,000 title insurance policy, that should go down to about like 15 bucks, yeah. you know? And um, I, I think this is the direction we're going. I just hope we get there quickly. All right, I always like to end on these two questions because it's fun to end on these two questions. And for you, I'm gonna ask you a third one. Uh, question number one is always, what's your, uh, what's your favorite movie and why? Question number two is, what are you most looking forward to in 2024? And question number three, just because you're you, is what social media platform is next to like pop off? You're going to have to watch the podcast to get the answer. I was just videoing that. Uh, number one, movie. Top Gun, hands down, never gets old for me. I'm not a movie buff, but I just, uh, I, we just got a bulldog. We named him Goose. Nice. Uh, because everybody names to everything. Die? No, because because Maverick gets all the love. Yes. Goose deserves more love. And and that's, that's of course, he's going to die in probably 10 years. But, yeah. Uh, uh, but no, uh, yeah, so Top Gun, hands down. Uh, if, if And this is a funny story. My wife teases me about this. We, were, we have a branch in Pensacola, and we were just down there uh, a few months ago when we went. We, my... My uh, one of our loan officers down there used to run a fishing charter. So he's got a boat. We always go fishing, but we went out to uh, out to the the area where because the the Blue Angels were flying, and I, I can't help myself but just talking about if I could do life all over again, I'd be a naval fucking aviator and you know all the fucking stupid shit like that. That's just I guess that's just my my genre. I don't know. So Top Gun. What was the second question? By the way, did you like Maverick? Oh yeah, it was awesome. I loved it. it was awesome, awesome. It was a great awesome. movie, right? Yeah. But it, it, everybody who says which was better, there's no comparison. Uh, you know, because one was incredible for its time. They're both fucking amazing, and I wouldn't judge each one against each other. Right, right. Both incredible. Great movies. I yeah. wish there would be more. So, funny story. Uh, Chris uh, DeRosa, our, uh, our, our, our audio tech God slash... behind the scenes. Yeah, voice of God behind the scenes. I know Chris because I was best friends with his younger brother uh, growing up. We owned our first house together when he was like just starting out as a fireman. I was just starting to make decent money in the loan industry. We had a lot of big parties at our ghetto little house in Pacoima. And when we were ready for people to leave, his brother and I would turn on Top Gun and just start reciting every line. Like drunk out of our mind, one, two o'clock in the morning, um, that asshole got to take multiple days off because he was a fireman. I had to still show up at the bank at you know eight thirty in the morning. But we would just turn that on and start repeating lines from it, and everybody would clear out. They're like, "Oh, not this shit again. We're not listening to Top Gun by Scott and Rob once again." So yes, huge, huge, huge top five for me. I don't know. Maybe Top Gun and Maverick are in my top five, top ten, depending on the day that you catch me. Uh, what are you most looking forward to to twenty twenty four? And then what's the social media platform either people should be leaning into, or is is there something yes. out there no, I've got that like that. okay, yeah, go for it. No, but number t number two, what am I most looking forward to? Is you know the continued evolution of of our industry because it is shifting my life into a different world, which is media. Uh, but at the same token, I'm not stupid and naive. And I told you this off air. 
like when people say like, why are you still involved in mortgage? Well, because I make it rain on the business and I know there's a boom coming. I've been saying this for five, six years now. I was saying it before Gen Z was relevant. I was saying, it's only a matter of time. Millennials are going to buy. It's only a matter of time. Now it's two fucking generations. Like there's two generations of human beings that have not bought like the past generations before them. And if you've been in the industry like you and I have, we've seen some amazing runs. We have not seen the run that's coming. It's either that or there's a conspiracy that the government wants to own everything and they're not going to ever own. Whichever you believe. If you believe that, then just go fucking move to Canada. But if, if you do believe that there's a run coming, because there is, you've got two generations of humans that have not bought that are waiting to buy. They're gonna. And I want to stick around to fucking reap the rewards. So I, I hope, I think uh, that 2024 will be the beginning. I don't think it's going to be balls to the wall gangbusters. Do I think it's going to be better than 23? Yes. That's not saying much. Right. But yes. I think it's going to be better than 23. I think 2024 is going to be the setup for the next two years, which are going to be gangbusters. And I don't say this selfishly, but those that figure out how to market and attract that buyer, that segment of the market are going to be the ones that reap the biggest rewards. You're all going to fucking do well. How well do you want to do? Decide. You decide for yourself. Uh, the last question. Uh, it's interesting. I study this. I listen to lots of podcasts. I listen to lots of people in the social arena. It is fascinating to me because a lot of the people that I put a lot of stock in are predicting that X, the old Twitter, is going to become every the, the, the all to social media. Evidently, they're now embracing long-form video to the point that you can watch a long-form video and like skip to certain segments of it because the app will allow you to do that. I think it's still in infancy and it needs to mature. I believe, and I'm instructing my team, that in 2024, we're going to start shifting our Lake of the Ozarks over to X. Right now, geo strategies don't exist over there. But what I've listened to and read is that Elon doesn't give a fuck about how many followers you have. He wants to dominate. And so he is going to reward those who who want to use X as a social platform because he wants to win the social media game. So for me, I don't have any other evidence other than listening to high-level social people. And one of the guys, I can't think of the name of the podcast, but I listened to it. He's a guy who managed people like Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber and, and Jake Paul. Like, this dude fucking understands shit. And he's, he was one of the guys who was explaining how X is evolving. And I was like, all right, I guess I need to start taking X seriously. Now, when Tristan and I talk about this, which we do on our, on our social media podcast, which is called Social Genius by Drunk on Social, he is, you know, we're, we're debating it because I'm like, yes, I believe it. But for most of you listening right now, you're not even, you haven't even really taken Facebook that serious. You haven't taken Instagram serious. You haven't taken TikTok serious. You got to get a fucking, you got to serious about social first. Don't try to jump into X. Right, uh, But get serious, start building muscle memory, start building cadence, build that consistency so that by the end of 2024, posting every single day is just habit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like every motherfucker right now in January who's going to the gym every day and will stop going to the gym every day in February. Right. 
listen, either either fucking get past that or embrace the fact that you're going to be, you know, moderately overweight for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, it, well, you decide. And, and so do you want to be, do you want to be, do you want to have a mediocre income and bank account for the rest of your life? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It, it, to each their own. In fact, I embrace it. I've learned, Scott, to embrace mediocrity because if it wasn't for mediocrity, I wouldn't be successful because I'd have a lot more competition. And so for those of you that heard what I just said, some of you are going to say, more what a mother, cocky motherfucker. And others, others are going to say, fuck, that's, yeah, that's opportunity. That's yeah. how I look at it. It's opportunity. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with mediocrity. It's how the world fucking survives, to be honest. I, I suspect that X is going to announce like, four things simultaneously and maybe you can look this up chris is when uh joe rogan's contract is up on spotify i think elon and and yeah. joe are our friends and i think joe rogan has mentioned several times on his podcast hey x is doing the right thing by being the advocate for free speech that's what i believe in so i think i think elon musk will simultaneously sign joe rogan you know brett weinstein at all like basically all the people that he believes are free speech uh advocates and 2024. sign them 2024 this year yeah there we go um so then i think uh i think he'll sign all those people to host their long long form podcast exclusively on x the same time he announces x as a payment processor which is where yes. his expertise is from paypal it'll be the everything app and it's like exactly. it's like probably by 2025 i will have an x slash tesla slash elon musk endorsed car phone and social media platform and there'll be no need to well, go anywhere love else. him or hate him he's fucking brilliant brilliant yeah and, and, and i also i will say this about rogan i love his podcast that motherfucker's a sellout um you know and i'll tell you how and how i know this and i listened to a podcast of his where he was bashing tiktok this is a year and a half two years ago and he was talking about, and he was talking about these intricate details of the fine print and I'm like, you motherfucker, you have not read the fine print. You don't give a flying fuck. I guarantee Mark Zuckerberg paid you to say all this shit. And look where TikTok is today. And look what look how Rogan never talks about TikTok. I love Rogan. Most of his shit's great. He interviews great people. But if you believe in everything that he says, you better fucking believe he's being paid to fucking say it. And don't get me wrong. If Zuckerberg pays me, yeah, several million that. dollars. I will say TikTok sucks. Right. I'm telling you right now. But 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 like just read between. I, I, I don't know if this is a, is a decent ending point. My my mother in law. We're having a conversation. My mother in law is on Instagram only. She is is like she she just started using Amazon because she's scared to death to use you know, like put her payment information anywhere. Right, and and she sends me these videos and says, "Will you look this up? Is this really true?" Like, you know, about certain things. This, and literally, this, just the other day, she sent me a video about, about cereal and about all of the, the, the processed shit that's in cereal that's caused cancers. And then she's like, but I looked it up and I read that this is false information. I, and I said, Sue, like, but do you know that the information that you just read, do you not know that that was maybe probably put there by General Mills? Right. Because they're the ones controlling the narrative, just like, and I will say this, uh, when you think that you're recycling plastic, like 90% of plastic is unrecyclable, but the only reason why it says it's recyclable is because the oil companies make recycling, they make plastic and they control the government and therefore everything's recyclable, even though it really isn't. Like, open your fucking eyes like that has nothing to do with anything other than some conspiracies but what a great way to end what a great way to end <laughs> <laughs> see 
<laughs> now we got to have you back for the uh, for the conspiracy episode. Hey, Jeff, man, thanks for being on. We're going to see each other every month on the coaching stuff that we're doing together. Um, I'm going to have to make it out to Lake of the Ozarks. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to make it back here for Vegas for like a mid-year social media update. We'll see if we were right about X. And uh, I appreciate you coming all the way out here to Henderson, Nevada for uh, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to best, interview you. Best podcast interview ever. Thank you. Talk soon, man.